The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, I'd like to start this show with a big screw you to uh, Daryl Morey and Ryan McDonough. <laughs> for ruining my wedding but with a trade that we now have to record i know i'm kidding the wedding went great uh and i got a little time here before we leave for the honeymoon so we're gonna bring in danny here and uh we'll talk about this trade uh also we later in the episode uh we've got uh rahat hook on we actually had to record just the day before this trade went down so there will be a few aspects out of it that are out of date but not a ton because ryan anderson and i don't think even knight is going to be a huge part of their rotation but danny and i will talk about that right now uh so what was the trade so that it's a pretty interesting thing because there are a couple dynamics here so in terms of the people it is ryan anderson and the draft rights to d'anthony melton who was taken in the middle of the second round this year who has not yet signed so it is his draft rights for brandon knight and marquise chris but then the other part of it that has to be mentioned as a part of this is that ryan anderson decreased his guarantee for the second season of this of this contract so he's still signed through 2019-20 to equal brandon knight's full contract value because his contract is fully guaranteed for that same season so what you want to call that neutral or not depends on Chris's option and Melton and all that kind of stuff. But that did change the finances for the Suns, even if they end up fully guaranteeing Ryan Anderson, which they certainly could. Yeah. And I think the Suns, as we talked about with the Devin Booker extension, we can look at it from their perspective first here. Not a ton of space really left over at that point. Chris seemed like he might be an option, especially with all these combo forwards that they got in to get his fourth year option declined. So he may not have even been on the team anymore but but right now uh, with Anderson on the books if they choose not to waive him they're only looking at about 10 million in space I mean basically to the point where you wouldn't even want to use cap space you probably want to stay over the cap and and use your Fulman level exception and and some of the other exceptions instead uh now Dragon Bender could be another potential fourth year option decline candidate that could open up another six million in space and and maybe give the Suns a a bit more breathing room here uh and then if they were to waive Anderson what was the guarantee for 90 he gave about six million right so Anderson would be like 15 million of, of dead money next year yeah, so it'd be I, I think it's fifteen point six, something something in that realm. And, you know, the Suns could keep that. They could also trade him. And there is some uncertainty. I don't know the answer to this about how that's going to work for trade purposes because Anderson was signed under the previous CBA, but it was modified under the current one. We'll presumably have an understanding of that by the time anything happens, should he be traded, which is possible, but I would say, you know, reasonably unlikely at this point. So 
The the interesting, I, I think the prism that I like to look at this trade through, and I wrote about this for The Athletic, for those that want to read it, is the idea of the uh, different... By the way, theathletic.com slash capspace is your yes. URL to get up to 40% off uh, and read uh, pretty much all of Danny's stuff uh, at this point. But uh, please yeah, continue. Yeah, very close to it. But so so the basically the idea that I, I talked about a lot in it beyond the financial stuff is that Ryan Anderson had a very low utility for the Rockets in the playoffs. And that is how they're presumably defining success this year. But the Suns don't have that same pressure because the Suns probably aren't making the playoffs. And so the the regular season value of Ryan Anderson should not be discounted. You know, he's a guy who can play. And yeah, the Rockets, I think people are way too down on him at this I point. I agree. And there's also this weird thing. It happens sometimes with players where when a, a, a guy gets traded from a bad organization or a bad situation to a good one, that the positive gets assumed. And like Brandon Knight, there have been some good moments in his career, but those were years ago and he could come back to that i mean towards acl missed all of last year and was largely bad as a member of the phoenix suns and was pretty solid as a member of the milwaukee bucks which is why the suns gave up that really good pick that they ended up getting back and becoming mikhail bridges for him and marquis chris i think he'll be in a better situation to succeed at least actually i would say on both ends of the floor with houston their defensive system requires fewer reads offensively he's playing with better distribute distributors and they have just more competent coaching offense all that kind of stuff the Suns have been such a wreck but that isn't a guarantee that those guys are going to be good it's just a possibility and so for Houston they exchanged something that wasn't a great fit for kind of two rolls of the dice and for the Suns they traded two rolls of the dice for someone who's a more clarified fit yeah, to finish up uh, on the Suns cap situation, you know, if they were to stretch Anderson, if they didn't have Bender's guarantee, now you're talking about getting all the way up to maybe 25 million or so in space next year, should they so desire. But I don't necessarily anticipate there'll be a huge free agent destination here. Uh, you mentioned, Chris, because Houston switches, I, I don't. I'm not a big believer in Chris, but you could see him maybe as kind of a Dallas backup center, the Dwight Powell role, the Brandon Wright uh, type of role for Houston, which might have an opening at backup center with Nene getting up there in age. Chris is a little bit different. And so if they're going to be switching everything, Chris played in that system at Washington. He doesn't really have to make as many reads, as you said, in conventional pick and roll defense. The help responsibilities aren't quite as difficult there. And it's just, hey, switch and stay in front of your man. They've had success with Gerald Green. They've had success with Capella, who, remember, was not really that nuanced of a conventional pick and roll defender, but had the physical tools. So they got him to get out on the perimeter and switch and so i think i'm not a big believer in chris i mean he also can shoot the three in theory maybe houston can get him into spacing the floor a little bit more but i don't believe chris will succeed but if he does i think houston is the best place for him given his skill set because they do really simplify the game on both ends for the guys who aren't their playmakers uh so it's a it's an interesting gamble but we'll see whether in fact he even gets his fourth year option picked up you you would say it's probably more likely than not that he doesn't i would say so especially considering the Rockets luxury tax pressures I mean basically all of their key players now with I mean with Anderson and Knight swapping the, there's still a lot of money for 2019-20 if, if they want to clear that significant you know when these guys are high draft picks their fourth year options are pretty sizable so it's very possible that the Rockets will go that way it's also possible they could roll the dice this doesn't usually work out well but they could pick it up with the intention of trading him at some point between now and then and there are going to be so many teams with cap space next summer maybe somebody just goes yeah fine but i would say it's like and, and remember that the option deadline is is partially into the season so maybe they
they even beyond training camp give him some early playing time and garbage they'll have plenty of garbage time and the Rockets are really good to see what Marquise Chris can do in an NBA setting yeah and that'll be interesting to see as far as night you, know, you mentioned there's this assumption oh the Rockets wanted it maybe he's good well a big part of why they wanted him was just to potentially reduce their luxury tax bill especially going forward here uh night certainly there was some speculation even that he could be a stretch candidate given the timing of the trade right now he did not in fact get stretched the Rockets could have gotten close to totally out of the tax had they done that but probably a wise move to hold on to him see if he can help this year they do have a big hole at backup point guard as Rahat and I talked about that really you know, relying on Michael, Michael Carter Williams I think uh, Knight can be more successful than him he can at least the one thing he's always consistently done in his career is hit shots he was one of the worst statistical defensive players in basketball but again you know there's hope that as a backup being able to actually play again I mean you remember he was shut down two years ago that he missed last year with the torn ACL we didn't even know what kind of shape he's in but at 27 maybe he could contribute you know our relying on him for production at backup point guard or starting point guard gulp as the Suns were doing uh so that's uh i don't want to rely on him but just giving you another out there maybe to get some production and you know just hit some shots and you know maybe give a better defensive effort uh you know a winning culture could be uh a way to rehab knight's value to some degree because he does uh, have talent um Anything else you wanted to have? Uh, I mean, ultimately, though, I don't think that we could say that this is going to change that much for Houston. I don't anticipate that Knight is going to play a ton in the playoffs. I mean, they've got that three-guard rotation of Paul, Harden, and Gordon. And so, you know, I don't see Knight as good enough defensively or, you know, anyone you want taking time away from those three guys but you know we'll see maybe he can get up to the point where chris paul can uh can get some more rest which was another thing that rahat and i are going to talk about here in a moment so one of the biggest stress points in my entire relationship with my wife was when we tried to move my old couch up the stairs in our apartment that we used to live in it was just impossible and you couldn't take it apart and frankly it wasn't that comfortable either i paid a bunch of money for that sofa if only I'd head burrow it at that point because they're changing the game with a fully customizable sofa that's easy to love and built to last. They've got a modular design so you can make your chair a love seat. Your love seat can become a sofa simply by adding one seat at a time and it's easy to move in and out of any space. It took me about five minutes to put it together and everything is personalized to you. Arm height, sofa color, leg material size. It's the only sofa that grows with you and actually fits your life. We've got the love seat in blue. Love sitting on there in our sunroom reading. The cats love it as well. And at Burrow.com, their interface is really easy to customize it. The way to get started with them is with $75 off your Burrow sofa at Burrow.com slash Capspace. That's Burrow.com, B-U-R-R-O-W.com slash Capspace. Easy to slash Capspace. We talk about all, all the time here on the program. $75 off at Burrow.com slash Capspace. Burrow furniture that's fit for modern life at home. And make sure you let them know that slash Capspace URL that you came from us. Uh, what else we got here? Well, the only other thing I want to mention quickly is oh, yeah. I think DeAnthony Melton might end up being the most important piece of this trade long term. I mean, yeah, we I, didn't talk about him at all. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, about that, I, yeah. I like I like what he could be. I mean, Melton as kind of more of like a he's more of a, sh- a small forwards frame, but in a shooting guard's height, I think. 
think that'll work fine for him because he plays a little bit bigger than his his height. I want wingspan, he's strong, all that kind of stuff. And I like that he's comfortable with the ball in his hands. He's just an intriguing player. And the Suns can use more guys who are actually capable. So if he can deliver in that, whether it's this year or next year or whatever, that would be good for them. And then one other thing to mention is as of this moment, the Suns do can only offer Melton a two-year contract. So it's a similar story to the Warriors with McCaw and Bell over the last two years. But theoretically, since he has not yet signed, they could maneuver this a couple of different ways to try to get cap space to sign him with cap space. Yeah, to, to get below. I mean, really, all you got to do is get, you know, the minimum or so 800,000 or so below the cap uh, to sign him to longer than uh, that two year deal. But I don't know that it's exactly the end of the world here. Uh, and the Suns, they still have their room exception as well, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they've used anyone. So one thing they might consider doing with him is say, we'll pay you, you know, to get the flexibility, right, that we'll pay you, you know, a little bit more than the minimum in the first year to get that second year as a team option. And that way, if he doesn't do that much in the first year, you can decline that option, make him a restricted free agent, but you could still bring him back. He He would be restricted. Or you can keep him under contract for another year as well and then make him a restricted free agent so just to have a little bit more flexibility i mean they're not doing anything with that room exception anyway so you might as well pay him a little more that makes him happy uh and then you can also have the flexibility to say either number one he's just not working out let's dump him after the first year or you could say hey you know he's got a lot of promise maybe we should make him a restricted free agent now and try to get him on a a longer term deal here uh but that's just a thought uh, and probably a little bit too uh, arcane of one for our purposes. Uh, where do you want to go next, sir? I think we should talk about Manu Ginobili. I don't think, you know, he, he retired a player who has been around for forever, it feels like to me. I mean, unquestioned Hall of Fame career, partially because the Basketball Hall of Fame encompasses everything and his international record is unbelievable. I mean, I think that really does help him, but a massive impact on the league. And also, I mean, San Antonio is going to miss having his playmaking off the bench. Yeah, they are. I mean, they still, this is not a team. I mean, I, now that they have DeRozan, I think they, they won't miss him as much. But I mean, we're going to miss uh, seeing him play. That's for, that's for sure. We could start there. Uh, but still, I mean, he's one of the greatest plus minus players ever, in part because he's a great player coming off the bench, playing a lot against bench units. But those Spurs teams always killed people when the bench was in the game. And, and he was a big part of that. And a clear Hall of Famer based on his international contributions as well, one of the greatest international basketball players of all time and then even based on his nba career he probably gets there with those four championships that he has and that he contributed to so incredibly so uh, a guy we're certainly going to miss but another indication that things are changing in san antonio now as as no Kawhi leonard and no big three i think with the trade of danny green this is now everyone from their 2014 championship team is gone uh, yeah, I believe the yeah, longest I, right. I believe the longest tenured spur is Lamarcus Aldridge. Yeah, who signed in the summer uh, of 2015. The Lakers have reached an agreement to buy out and stretch Luol Deng. The agreement became possible with the passage of that September 1st deadline, meaning that. 
the buyout for this year is charged entirely to this year and then he will be stretched now you have to make that decision within 48 hours of waiving him so the stretch doesn't apply until next year and dang and the lakers were in a little bit of a log jam here because dang wanted to play but the lakers were like well we can't waive you because you know we want the flexibility to be able to trade you later and get you completely off our books if we need to and so the way they were able to finally get past that impasse was that dang gave back quite a bit about 7.3 million of the money that he was owed which is uh, around 37 million over the next couple of years and that enables the lakers well actually i'll I'll let you explain where they're at now uh in terms of 2019 cap space with this move yeah, so you you split the amount that Waldang is getting the reduction over the two years of the contract. Not split evenly. It's I believe it's proportion, but the contract terms are close. So what that means is that the Lakers put about five million on their books for nineteen twenty, and then the two subsequent years. And by going from his full eighteen point eight million to that estimated five million, that means they have about thirty eight million in space, not counting their first round pick, which they actually do still own. So that means they'll be fine without any further moves to get to the to have a 30% max and then 35 would probably only be for Kevin Durant that would be they would have to probably do a little bit of dancing but not very much so if need be they could obviously do that so a, a very interesting place for them to be and as you said the reason the Lakers did, were able to exert leverage was because Dang wanted to play and then what they what they needed to get back was enough savings to make it worthwhile and I, I think they did so like I was I was writing a piece on this for the athletic theathletic.com slash cap space and I said that basically this was about what the amount would be for me to justify having that dead money because now they don't have the flexibility that would have come from just having him on their books. Yeah, so I, I think this was enough for him to give back, though, that it was probably worth doing at this point. So, Agreed. Yeah, and they'll be right there now, pretty darn close. They could move on from Svi Mikhailiuk, and depending on exactly where the number falls for the 10-plus year max, they could even potentially uh, have space for one Kevin Durant next to offseason. couple quick hitters here. Kobe Simmons was waived off a two-way by Memphis. We thought that he'd made some baby steps in in summer league but apparently not enough progress for memphis they're going in another direction there and then this is a a situation that we had monitored with interest the tyrone wallace situation wallace played well a season ago with the clippers and apparently not well enough to impress anyone and get an offer sheet until now this offer sheet is pretty low level it's the minimum for two years three hundred thousand guaranteed as of september 12th it wouldn't surprise me if he also had a 300k guarantee date next year that that's why they did that uh but and we haven't heard anything about an option yet on, on the second year either. Maybe that's there could be something like that coming. But yeah, go ahead. Well, I don't. I believe it cannot be an option year because an offer sheet has to be two years, not including an option. But it could be a non guarantee. Oh yes, the non guarantee that structures very similarly to that. Yeah. Okay. So, so I don't understand why they did the nine twelve guarantee date for the three hundred. Well, the, I think the reason odd, I but... so I think that the idea is that that'll be like right around if the Clippers take their sweet time with this, that'll be right around when they make their decision, and so then that gives them a, a partial guarantee for next year. I think that's I think that's the logic of it. It's just that it's so late in the off season that it's a very 
different mechanic than like the J.R. Smith one or the Milos Tejosic one. Yeah, but if there's no option here, then it doesn't matter. You can just make it whatever you want. Yeah, it's uh, true. So that's what the, yeah. the first year doesn't affect the second year. So so yeah, that's why I don't understand why they would have done that. Why not just make it guaranteed to begin with? But uh, I'll have to ask about that. But in any event, I think this is great for New Orleans. We've established they don't have much on the wing. He also actually has some point guard skills, somewhat similar skill set to Alfred Payton, although maybe even more of a non-shooter. But he also has more defensive versatility, a better finisher around the rim, probably a better transition player. So he actually could be someone who, if Payton just doesn't work out, they could move Drew Holiday to point guard. And then Wallace could end up being their backup point guard as well. And he's also capable of playing on the wing uh, and is a versatile defender. So I think he's, and he's also really good in transition and they want to push the ball a lot. So I, I think, I think he's, I would have actually offered him a fully guaranteed offer sheet um but they went with the 300,000 instead and the clippers seem unlikely to match remember his qualifying offer is only a two-way contract which uh, guarantees him only $75,000 uh could be worth as much as uh the high 300s if he spends the most possible amount of time with the NBA team uh but the clippers with all their guaranteed contracts now if i were the clippers uh, they have 15 guaranteed contracts and they also have pat beverly non-guaranteed who they presumably are going to keep but if i were the clippers i mean i, I they clearly aren't as big of a believer in Wallace as I am but they've got Boban they've got Wes Johnson guys who probably aren't really a part of their plans this year they've got Juwan Evans as well so why not just wave Wes Johnson I know he's making six million but you know he's not in their plans they have a million guys already to play as a combo forward so move on from him move on from Juwan Evans I mean if you think Juwan Evans is better than Ty Wallace you're just completely insane uh and then you could still have room for Wallace on on the 15-man roster and then this two-year contract I mean that's a pretty team favorable contract and then he's still a restricted free agent even at the end of that with only three years of service so i i that's what i would do if i were the clippers i would match it i would get rid of some of these other guys but it does not seem as if they will go in that direction and remember that they don't have to make that roster clearing decision right now. They can even just wait a little bit if they want to. Maybe somebody gets hurt. Maybe they get a trade opportunity that comes around because you could still have 20 guys on roster for a while yet. What else we got here? Uh, so we'll go back briefly to the Spurs. They did two sort of interesting things. They cut Brandon Paul, which we talked about before, but they signed Quincy Pondexter, who was an important part of the Pelicans' previous, not their most recent, their previous playoff run, but has battled injuries basically ever since that moment. And he has a partial guarantee deal. I haven't heard a specific number on that. And then they signed, I think it's, I'm going to butcher his name, Shemise Metu, their second round pick. No, I, think that, I think that's pretty close. Yay! Yeah. Uh, they signed, he, he looked pretty good in summer league. They signed signed him to a three-year contract again we don't have the terms but i'm guessing there are some significant non-guarantees or partial guarantees on the at least the later years of that contract so i mean that looks like they're pretty close to filling out their roster real quickly here this is off the floor but the former chief revenue officer of the kings who now is with the miami heat and uh now is on uh leave <laughs> pending this investigation just money laundered 13.4 million in stadium naming rights allegedly to buy real estate oh yes sorry thank you uh allegedly um this is like when we're actual news people we probably should be more responsible there um but just a, another indication that the king's organization is a complete shit show uh talk out of phoenix 
that the Suns are trying to use the trade market to get a point guard. I'd be very interested to see if that succeeds and what they're going to offer. Remember, they already gave up that 2021 pick. It wouldn't shock me if Josh Jackson were in those talks. Uh, I would not be too interested in Josh Jackson were I a team with a, a big name point guard, but Woj noted that in his story on the trade. Uh, and, and, you know, if they have Anderson at the four and some of these vets, uh, um, we don't know what Aiton is going to look like at center as a rookie. If Devin Booker can take another step forward, you could see, especially if the Suns get a point guard, that they could be more respectful. They've just got Shaq Harrison, who I like defensively, but is you know going to be a very below average offensive player. In Philly, the Sixers finally have started interviewing for their general manager vacancy. Larry Harris, Gerson Rosas, and Justin Zanuck, the names there. It just doesn't feel, Bodner has been all over this. He did like a whole podcast on it. It just doesn't feel like they really want someone to come in this year and that they're just going to stick with who they have internally and i think it's not the end of the you know the end of the world if they do that they've got ned cohen alex rucker mark eversley not sure exactly who's wielding the power there someone in their ownership group i can't remember his name is becoming a little bit more involved as well and brett Braun obviously is very involved i think they've been doing an okay job so far but i think they're going to interview and We'll see if any of those guys blow them away. But there's this idea that, that all they want to keep all these people in place that they hired. They have this, you know, crazy analytics staff that uh was profiled in that Philadelphia Inquirer hagiography. Um OKC, we can't really joke about the Kyle Singler contract anymore because he has been waived and stretched any. Singler had a year left in guaranteed money and then a, a year of non-guarantee, which they were never going to pick up. But what that allowed the Thunder to do was stretch Singler over five years rather than three. So that means that he will be on their books for a little less than a million dollars for each of the next five seasons. I'm sure OKC would have loved to have gotten out of this entirely, but five million is kind of a weird sum to try to unload and OKC does not really have any of those middling assets other than players which it sounds like they want to keep so it, it would have been hard to make a trade like this work so they'll have it you know the 1 million still there's still gonna have a big luxury tax bill and then potentially that you know that million could end up impacting the bill in 1920 or however long they end up being a tax team but clears the roster spot seemed like this was inevitable if they couldn't find a taker and they couldn't find a taker it seems like at least that they at least at the price that they were willing to give up. Yeah, and this closes the door on what I thought were a disastrous series of transactions way back in 2015, where they picked up Ennis Cantor, gave up draft picks, gave up Reggie Jackson. And one of the guys that they got, who we thought actually was a positive of that trade, was Singler. And he immediately just forgot how to shoot the moment he walked into Oklahoma City's gym. But they decided, hey, you know what? We'll give him this contract. We didn't hate that contract. Five million a year in the summer of 2015 seemed okay for yeah. a guy who, who could if play If he were a, a rotation player, five million a year would look awesome right now, especially with the last year being yeah. guaranteed. But And at a, at, a, you know, at a forward spot. But he just couldn't play anymore. Yeah, it, really one of the more mysterious just total drop-offs. And he had been a minimum player up until in so he got paid but it was just uh, very very odd and i don't think we need to do the naming rights thing in atlanta but it's going to be called the uh state farm center or arena or whatever it's going to be um but actually worth less slightly than the last naming rights deal and then in boston this will be something we'll be monitoring very closely the return to health of kyrie irving and gordon hayward they are expected to start playing five on five as guys start to trickle in for those pre-training camp scrimmages and then Woj said on ryan rusillo's pod that he 
you would take Boston over the field to re-sign Kyrie. The Celtics certainly have a degree of confidence that Kyrie will return. And then and I think the last yeah, piece of news just briefly, Manu Ginobili's former teammate David West also announced his retirement after winning two consecutive championships with the Warriors. He was a, an important and often underappreciated part of their front court rotation, partially because he never started and never really got to play with Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. But he, you know, he had a remarkable career long before that as a member of the Hornets and as of the Pacers. And I mean, those those Hornets teams with him and, and CP, I think I, I would love to go back and watch some of their footage because I remember really enjoying those guys playing together. And so I, I don't know what he wants to do now after his playing career, but with both him and Manu, I could imagine those guys being names that we still talk about if that's what they want to do for a long time to come. Yeah, I thought actually Wes could still play. I, I would surprised that Golden State wasn't interested in bringing him back, frankly. I think if he would have been willing to come back for the new, maybe they just didn't like the idea of feeling forced to play him because there are some matchups he didn't really work very well in. But, you know, compared to having Damian Jones on the team, like where do I sign up to get David West instead? Uh, I guess we got to talk about these rules changes, though. Um, did we ever get clarity? Because I'm sorry, I've kind of been out of it the last week or so on exactly what the changes are to clear path. I don't believe that we know it all the way yet. So I, I would like to, or at least I don't at the bare minimum. So I don't want to talk about it too much, but the perspective part of it of, you know, it's it's sort of more in line with what our mutual friend Ethan Sherwood-Strauss has talked about before about making it a more uniform rule. He wanted it to be an intent call. I don't think they're going all that way, but they're making it a more uniform set of rules, which should prevent them from going to review or at least alleviate the excessive unnecessary reviews. Yeah, I mean, I wanted it to be a bigger penalty. That's actually how I read it at first when Woj tweeted it, but it sounds like it's more of an and thing in terms of all of these criteria than an or thing. And so, you know, because there's a reading of it where it's like, oh, when you intentionally foul to stop a fast break, that's you know a clear path foul. But uh, they're not quite going to that level. Uh, the other changes that they're going to have, though, is the shot clock will reset to 14 on offensive rebounds. I am not in favor of that change because if you don't go straight back up with it or just kick it out immediately to a three-point shooter and you have to reset and run a play you really don't have time to run a play like you but you're not getting the ball back it's probably takes you four or five seconds to even get the ball up top and now you're at you know nine eight seconds and you really only have time for just you know one desultory pick and roll and i don't really like reducing the value of offensive rebounds i think that that's gone a little bit too far you know i think like bludgeoning guys in the offensive glass is something that i still do appreciate in the nba uh there's an article that said only six percent of offensive of possessions after offensive rebounds last longer than 14 seconds but i think that understates the effect because once you get with more than eight seconds or so elapsing after an offensive rebound now you're starting to feel the pressure of getting another shot up and, and so you're just going to have all of those possessions affected i've seen this rule in international competition i haven't really cared for it uh it's also going to change the strategy at the end of games if you're ahead and you get an offensive rebound now you can't just just sit on I think again I think being able to get an offensive rebound late in the game used to be such a killer and now it's not as much so um all right I think that's all we got here for now we'll take a, a quick break and then we'll bring in Rahat again I, I apologize there's a little bit of this that's out of date because of the trade but I think as far as how the Rockets are going to play this year you know I don't see Chris and Knight factoring in too much and and you did at least get our opinion on that so we'll bring in Rahat 
right after this so if you are a smart fan and you probably are since you're listening to this podcast i think we're allowed to say that catch the move the sticks podcast hosted by former nfl scouts daniel jeremiah and bucky brooks jeremiah and brooks break down the most impressive performances of the week explaining how players and teams are able to be successful based on their skill sets technique and coaching decisions the move the sticks podcast provides detailed analysis of the college and pro game from seasoned experts from the nfl combine straight through the super bowl there's no off season on the move the sticks podcast with guests like nfl gms head coaches and top draft prospects no one brings you the inner workings of football better than the move the sticks podcast having followed the league's top talent from high school to the nfl draft dj and bucky will tell you exactly who will emerge as the next big stars subscribe now to the move the sticks podcast with new episodes dropping three times a week available on your favorite podcast app or nfl.com time for the houston rockets one of the nba's two marquee franchises uh, after last season uh, clearly one of the best teams in the nba one of the two best teams in the nba and a bitter seven game defeat to the golden state warriors after chris paul went down after a heroic game five performance and joining us is for i think this is uh, your fourth year in a row now uh, rahat huck how are you doing man pretty great and nate i'll say that um you describing the rockets as one of the nba's two marquee franchises is probably the first time i've smiled since that game seven defeat so thank you for that i think i'm ready for the season now we're good outside of the birth of your child of course which recently happened right (laughs) right your your first basketball (laughs) related (laughs) smile yeah uh so i i think the place to start here obviously is what happened in the offseason and we can talk about how close they were a year ago but uh and that's a matter of some debate whether you know they would have beaten the warriors if paul had stayed healthy but then andre guadalla was injured too and so you hear people go back and forth but uh, i think maybe the context to discuss how last year went was how important was the departed Trevor Reese. I remember actually when we talked last year, you were a little bit lower on his defense and what he meant for this team. Uh, but now, you know, with them having replaced him with, with James Ennis uh, and Luke and Bob Mute has gone too, of course, but they didn't have him in, in the playoffs really in his normal form. Right. Uh, how much are they going to miss right. Trevor Reese this year? Right. And I, I'm glad you just added in that last distinction because I feel feel like Luke and Bahamute not being there in the conference finals, I feel like in the narrative over the offseason, that's a major point that's being missed because, of course, the Rockets' strength during the season was that wing depth, but people aren't factoring that into the analysis, the fact that they only had Ariza and Tucker as far as defensive wings in the conference finals. And so if we're measuring it in terms of how much did they lose from where they were in that Western Conference Finals, they really only lost Ariza. Um, and so that, that that's the first point I wanted to make. Secondly, as you said earlier, this is my fourth year now in a row doing these previews with you. And as you noted, I have been um, far more, uh, I, I guess, I haven't been as optimistic about Trevor Ariza as most people have been. And so I don't see this as the irreplaceable loss that it's being described as. I, I've thought he's highly i thought he's been highly overrated for years i said this last year so this isn't a case of um sour grapes or anything like that 
Um, and so I, I honestly, I feel like Daryl Morey, I feel like he might've been glad that there was an offer made that he wasn't even, there wasn't even any pressure for him to have to match it. I think that Daryl Morey views three and D wings as interchangeable pieces. And so he knows that he has those key cogs. Um, and Nate, just to make an analogy to football, I feel like he, he, he compares those wing players to a running back where he has James Harden and Chris Chris Paul, those franchise quarterbacks, he can go out and get six, seven wing players um, at a cheap cost, like the way he did with James Ennis. And I also think, I'll add this in, I also think that this preview, we might be a little bit premature here because I think Daryl has another move uh, up his sleeve to get another wing here. And so to answer your question, I I don't see this as as a case where they lost something where the, the window is closed the way it's being described. I don't think the Rockets are going to step back. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you can make the argument. There's a couple of things I would add to that. I mean, one, I think, you know, Reza, as far as the, how, how he played in the conference finals, I mean, he defended Kevin Durant in particular about as well as I've seen him defended now of course the argument is that well when you're switching everything a lot of it just comes down to who is your weakest link right and that was they would go after James Harden a lot of the time they'd go after Capel a lot of the time they wouldn't necessarily be attacking Tucker and Ariza as much although certainly it helps to, to have those guys and Ariza has length I think he's you know while his shooting wax and wanes and obviously certainly waned in that game seven he was a guy who teams feel like they need to guard out there a more accomplished three-point shooter than Ennis I, I think that you know just to have Ariza who is competent at both even I think at the worst of times shooting the ball and defensively you know you can get one end or the other out of there and Maury may think like hey you know next to Chris Paul and James Harden anybody's they're gonna get so many open looks anybody can shoot 35 percent and you know Luke sort of showed that last year uh but I mean I think and I agree with you in the regular season I don't think it's really gonna matter that much you know they might just close with Eric Gordon more or something like that but I think uh, against the Warriors if James Ennis is left open is he going to be able to make shots and then of course you run into the other problem which is they have Carmelo Anthony on this team right now and that's one that you know if you were uh, I think unless he's going to play a very small role and not be out there at the end of games I I think I would be very worried about how he matches up with Golden State right and I think that's really the 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 only question is how does he match up with Golden State I don't see it being a problem uh, the acquisition itself in terms of the rest of the NBA Um, you know you can get by with having him out there but the rest of the NBA doesn't matter all that matters is this one matchup to the Rockets they could go 68 and 14 and uh, you know plow their way through the rest of the playoffs and it won't matter if they lose to Golden State again and so I don't think Carmelo Anthony is going to be out there um, in crunch time and we'll see how he handles that now the the upside for the Rockets there is that there's absolutely no risk um, if he pouts about it um, they can, you know, they can cut their losses with well, him. They don't I, need I, I him. Don't They're not invested that, in mean, his stature, his relationship with Chris Paul. I mean, I, I, I'm a little skeptical of that, whether they can just, you know, all right, we're going to bench you. All right. You know, if it's not working out, you know, we'll buy you out or something like that. Like I, it seems, I, I think that from a personal relationship standpoint, it wouldn't shock me if Daryl Moore didn't even want Carmelo on the team and felt like he just had to say yes, mm-hmm. uh, to his stars. Um, that was my, you know, that was my suspicion last year, um, when, 
there was all this, uh, I guess, uh, bluffing, uh, I would say, where they made it seem like they were looking to trade for Carmelo Anthony. My suspicion was that Daryl Morey was just trying to make it appear that he was interested just to appease Chris Paul. And, oh, nope, we can't make a deal now. Ryan Anderson, uh, we're not able to unload him. Um, but, I, you know, I, I disagree with you, but that's an interesting point that you raised. So you, you think that for instance, if Carmelo Anthony is is benched in fourth quarters, let's step aside from Golden State. Let's say that it, the trend becomes that he is just a third quarter player for you know 14 minutes a game or what have you. It's clear that he's not an integral part of this team. You, you think that Chris Paul would step in and it, it would upset chemistry? Because the way that I see it, I, I feel like Chris Paul, James Harden, Mike D'Antoni, and Daryl Morey, I, I think there's a clear hierarchy where they're on the same page. And I, I don't know... You you know, maybe I, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe you're correct there. But I don't know that Chris Paul would, you know, go out on that limb well, for his friend. Is that is that I, what you I think? I mean, I think it's more that they'll just be scared to not play him. And you know, I mean, like mm-hmm. look at what happened in Oklahoma City last year. He clearly was not helping them most of uh, of the season. At the end of games, he was getting absolutely torched defensively. In that Utah series, he was just flat out killing them. And you know, maybe Houston has more intestinal fortitude than Oklahoma City did, but they felt like they had to play him they felt like he had that stature even when you can argue it cost them a playoff series they played him and it just that just seems to be the way of things in the nba and you know i think you're right now there's been talk maybe he'll come off the bench they're gonna try it i think that's good you know carmelo certainly was very adamant in his comments at the end of his season in oklahoma city that he wasn't he wasn't coming off no bench and so you know (laughs) has that changed has he agreed to do that is he understand the role coming in a lot of communication is going to be required because he isn't good enough to play their switching system and hold up uh, against the Golden State Warriors. And I think, you know, even a team like Boston or, or Toronto is could, could come out of the East and, and, I mean, and give these guys problems if they are able to make it to the finals. I don't think it'll be the cakewalk that it would have been last year against Cleveland. So right. uh, I, I'm I'm right. worried about it, I think. And I do think he can help them. I think that giving them one more guy who can go score in a little bit of a different way out of the mid post against a mismatch might be useful at times, you know, against Golden State, against some of those bench units. But man, if he's guarding Kevin Durant or, or Steph Curry, uh, watch out. Right, and I mean, as just as from watching the Rockets, anytime we matched up with the Thunder, it, it was literally just clear oh, yeah. out and try to get that switch for James Harden, and it was over immediately. Um, but I do think, as you noted, on the margins, just I, I think there is something still to being able to get buckets, however simplistically you want to put it. And so, um, it, particularly at the highest levels like this, when you, you see things muddy down, down, completely down to iso ball and so even if it's in you know uh, less significant times in the game like the second and third quarters uh, though Sam Hinkie will disagree and say that, that every single uh, facet of the game is, is uh-huh. equally uh, as valuable but you stepping aside from all of that I feel like there as you said there are times when he can take advantage of that matchup you know and this is something that we talked about two years ago if you recall when they signed Ryan Anderson Ryan Anderson um, and you had noted uh, that the thing that he could no longer do as he had lost athleticism was that when a smaller player was switched on to him in a pick and roll, he couldn't take yeah. advantage of them uh, posting up anymore. And so you take that out. See, the way that I look at this Carmelo Anthony acquisition is I'm not looking at him as a Trevor Ariza replacement. He's the Ryan Anderson replacement. And so Ryan Anderson is either gone or he's just completely out of the rotation. And so you, you look at it as both of these guys are complete zeros defensively, but I think Carmelo 
he brings you more than Ryan Anderson, whereas when Anderson, if he's covered, it's just a pump fake and a one-legged step back, fall away, whatever you want to call it. But Anthony, he can do more things. He can still punish a smaller player. So I'm not under the delusion that this is going to be some significant um, addition that's really going to change things. But I I think he can make a positive impact, and I I see him as the Ryan Anderson replacement. Yeah, and if that is, in fact, his role, uh, you know, although you can maybe argue that even Ryan Anderson, at least earlier in the year, was better defensively than Carmelo. Once he came back from that ankle injury, he he got charred. But uh, yeah, and I think one other concern I have, too, is that uh, Anthony might take some shots out of the hands of Eric Gordon, who I think has been a really underrated player for this team on both ends, both with his strength defensively to switch on to bigger players, and then uh, his ability to get to the basket, which was really on display last year uh, and looked awesome. Uh, I I think, uh, how about uh, James Ennis? How are you feeling about him? I'm feeling really optimistic just given um, the price tag. And I mean, you look at the statistics on his shooting on corner threes and catch and shoots situations. And so, you know, the way that I uh, imputed um, the analysis for any player that comes into the Rockets ecosystem with James Harden, you just have to naturally assume that they're going to benefit from the open looks that they're going to get that they didn't have in that previous situation. And so I I just look at this as a, a continuation of the cycle for Daryl Morey, where it was time to move on from Trevor Reason. Now you have uh, the younger replacement. There were some statistics regarding his uh, his efficacy on the fast break, which I don't have uh, in front of me. But I, I'm I feel really good about that pickup. Now we'll see um, how he's able to hold up from the perimeter, aside from the corners. Um, you know, is he going to be able to give you 37% um, from three? That still remains to be seen. But you know, I I, I really love the the addition. I think what's going to be important for the Rockets for that wing depth now. You have Ennis, you have PJ Tucker. They need one more guy. And so, can you swing a deal with Ryan Anderson and attach a draft pick or whatever consideration, uh, a young prospect? Can you make it work to where the Atlanta Hawks would be willing to give up Kent Bazemore? Would the Miami Heat be able to be willing to give up James Johnson? I feel like the Rockets, they're still one piece away defensively uh, at the wings because, as we saw in the Western Conference Finals, Mike D'Antoni was down to just a seven-player rotation. And those two minutes where Ryan Anderson played in in Game 7, that two-minute stretch where Steph Curry just obliterated him, I still have nightmares (laughs) of that stretch. Well, the good news is that, like, you're up at night all the time now with the the new baby, so you don't have to sleep as much. And that that at least, there's less time for you to have the nightmares. Uh, (laughs) Right, but they'll, they'll also... More time to watch YouTube clips, oh, replaying it, it, just uh, just trying to make myself suffer through that more. I, I want to go back to Ennis, though, here, because I, I think there are some reasons to believe that, you know, I've really liked his defense. I thought that especially in the 2017 playoffs for Memphis against Kawhi Leonard, he did a really nice job. He was their best option there. Uh, and the three-point percentage has been decent. He's career 36% from downtown, 33% last year, but on a very low number of attempts in his entire career— He's only shot 443 attempts and, you know, didn't break into the NBA uh, until age 24 with, with Miami. So he's only played four seasons. And so good percentage, but low volume. You would think, all right, the Rockets get guys pretty open looks. You know, when he's open, he can take it. And so, you know, especially just because they have this fire away mentality, I think that that has helped some players, Luke and Bob Mute, Ariza being among those to start bombing a little more. And that, you know, he has shown the ability to make shots at 
an adequate rate, but just a pretty low volume. That low volume always kind of scares you a little bit that the numbers could be kind of fluky. Uh, but no, I mean, I think if he gives them what he gave Memphis, you know, played at the level that he played for Memphis in the playoffs two years ago, I, I think that they will be feel good about it. And I was critical of them letting Ariza go uh, if 15 million was the, the price, even though because it was just luxury tax money, right? And this is Tillman Fertitta not really seeming to be willing to pay it, uh, especially with what they ended up getting Capella for, which was a lot less than you might have thought. But being able to recover right. with Ennis, it makes you feel a lot better about that. He's an unknown, uh, to be sure. Another thing I want to talk about with these guys, though, is the key players who are holdovers. You know, I, I think I talked a little bit with Ethan Strauss on the Golden State preview about some of Golden State's players maybe finally starting to regress. But I think that Houston probably faces more risk of that with their holdovers than Golden State does. Right. And I, I would say that the the guy that you look over, look at the most there, obviously, would be Chris Paul heading into um, his age 33 season having only appeared in 58 games and pj tucker also 33 mellow of course i don't know he's not a holder over of course but if you're looking at him as a rotation i, I piece, actually think Mello how long be better than he was last year okay. uh just because okay. he shot it um, so poorly on like spot ups which he had never done before in his career and i actually i i, had, I may be repeating this story sorry but but there is a i had a discussion with a, a veteran player about Mello, and he thought that because of Mello's mindset he that he wasn't in the mindset of being a role player that that just kind of messed with his whole game and his confidence whereas with team usa he is kind of you know was more trying to spot up and viewed that as his role whereas he felt like this player and i don't know what to make of this felt that the fact that Mello wasn't playing the same scoring role that he always had sort of imbued his whole game with this sort of dissatisfaction and so he's like oh am i just a spot-up shooter and so and that that's maybe part of why he shot it so poorly but i think just over the course of his career he shot it so much better than last year i think he's got to get better there at least in terms of just making shots. yeah and there there's there's really nowhere to go but up right i mean 40 percent from the field 36 percent on threes I, I, it's not like he suddenly aged aged five years over the course of a season and forgot how to play basketball. And I, I've, I talk about this a lot. This is maybe a flawed analogy, but I look at when the Rockets acquired Charles Barkley in 1996. I mean, he was still a very capable, productive player. And so obviously I, I think the concerns about Mello um, from a Golden State perspective, I think those are very warranted. But as far as against the rest of the league, I, I'm, I'm completely with you there. I think he improves to your question regarding the holdovers. The guy that I'm really looking at, though, is Clint Capella. Because you look at that stat line, 13, 10, and 2 in 27 minutes per game. You extrapolate that out to a healthy um, 36 minutes per game, and you're basically looking at peak Dwight Howard production. Now, the problem is that, historically, he can't even play 30 minutes without getting completely yeah. gassed. And so, 27 minutes a game, can he finally get over that threshold uh, and improve the stamina issues that are really, really bizarre for a guy uh, as young and athletic looking as he is, athletic period as he is. Um, but it was really news to me when Mike D'Antoni first started talking about that. But can he finally cross that 30 minutes per game? He he did it in the postseason. Um, but can he do it over the course of the, the year? Can he bring the energy? Are we going to see a, a dip overall in the production when you extrapolate it? I don't know. But if he ever does that, that's the guy that I'm looking at. That's the one guy on the roster that you can say is sort of a, a blue chip 
uh, prospect, but everybody else you expect uh, regression, even with James Harden. I mean, at the, particularly even at the margins. I mean, I, I every year I expect that he's going to slip a little bit, but he tends to get better. But I, one of these years it's coming now and entering his age 29 season. So Clint Capella is the guy that I'm looking at. And even just to circle back before the season, all the talk was about, you know, the Rockets trying to ironically acquire Carmelo Anthony or Paul George. And, you know, everybody talks about forming a big three. That's, that's been the, the, the phrase, you know, in the NBA uh, fan circle, we need a big three to be able to compete. But you look at what the Rockets did last season, 43 and three in the regular season with Capella, Paul yeah. and Harden uh, in the lineup. How is that not a big three? I mean, I, I would argue that Capella in some ways is, is really a star, how, whatever, however you want to define that. Um, but you, you can't argue with 43 and three. Yeah. I think for me, Capella, and I think, this has been the case for a lot of big men of his type you know not really a skilled player uh well i shouldn't say that because he is an excellent finisher around the rim but you know not a guy who's going to really improve his jump shot you don't want him taking his jump shot he's not going to post up he's not going to go one-on-one that's those things are never going to be a part of his skill set and playing the role that he is especially now that they're switching everything to him you could say oh he could get better as a pick and roll defender well that doesn't matter anymore now they're switching everything and he was i thought he was about as good as could be in that role a year ago Mm -hmm. so i it's maybe he could play a few more minutes I, I do think they probably want to just keep that down a little bit uh in the regular season but and you know they want to get guys like Nene sometime Nene is probably not going to play at all as much in in the playoffs so uh, it's hard for me to see how Capella could get much better and that's that's no knock on him because he was awesome last year uh and he was awesome in the first two runs of the playoffs as well you mentioned the effort I mean he was really he out efforted certainly Carl Anthony Townsend maybe even Rudy Gobert as well at, at a lot of times so I I think he's a wonderful player I was shocked the Rockets got him as cheaply as they did but i also don't see where the low-hanging fruit is for him to realistically improve his game i think he he took such a step forward last year that you almost should be hoping that he doesn't regress perhaps yeah yeah and and just to to go back on the skill i would i would actually argue if you want to call this a skill the self-awareness i mean you're basically getting what you hoped to get from dwight howard from clint capella in that he's not asking for post touches he's not asking for the ball and so that uh that contentment to play his role at, at a great uh, at, at a high level i mean that that's really all you could ask for and, and so it, it's it's just ironic that they thought they were getting this from dwight howard and it, it turned out that they end up look getting what they were looking for from his understudy let's talk about paul a little bit did you see i mean i, I was very impressed teams switched as much as they did that paul was able to be as effective as he was in isolation and i would say that with both harden and paul and those guys had numbers in isolation that just we've never seen before and maybe part of that is because they just had the floor so spaced that we haven't seen guys going to work in isolation with this space of a floor but it seems impossible to me that they could be quite as good on isos and it did seem like uh both of them particularly harden uh, did fall back to earth finally uh in the playoffs to some degree particularly against golden state i i just i mean what was Harden like 1.24 points per possession in isos last year like that has to come right. down doesn't it right 1.22 i believe and i don't know about harden but but i think paul like you i was pretty surprised as well we hadn't seen that facet of his game to that degree before and so now entering his age 33 season as he loses those just even a millisecond uh, of quickness 
how is that going to affect him not being able to, to 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 put the brakes on quickly enough and have people respect his jump shot or his drive and so it's going to be interesting I, I he took more threes than ever before last year he made 2.5 per game on 6.5 attempts I think he's going to take um, I think he's going to continue taking that many or even take more he shot 38 percent on the threes he had shot 41 percent the previous year I think he now he sees the value um, in taking more threes as he continues to get older um, he, you know he's a guy that y- you expect him to uh, age the way that Steve Nash and John Stockton did because they were such cerebral players but to your question with respect to the isolation it, there's it's really difficult to see him continue to be this effective as he physically begin continues to decline I mean it, it, it's it's just not within the realm of possibility as he gets older. He's going to lose tenths of a second off that first step. Yeah, and, and so we have the numbers. Uh, Harden, 1.22 points per possession. You have the right 720 isolation possessions. That's uh, in 72 games played, so that's 10 per game. I mean, that's just a, an absolutely incredible number. Uh, Paul had 297 and 58 games played. And a lot of this too is, I mean, they'd love to just run a pick and roll against conventional pick and roll defense, but teams are just like all right we can't guard this he's diving up shooters we're just gonna have to switch uh and Harden with that step back three-pointer was just so deadly last year same thing with Paul uh and then you know Eric Gordon also was pretty effective uh he was 0.99 points per possession which with the league average around 0.8 points per possession on isolations is pretty incredible stuff there um so what do you see as some of the playing time issues that coach D'Antoni is gonna have to work out here in the rotation I think really, I think the big question is how do you continue to reduce Chris Paul's workload? Because you have to, right? You cannot run into a situation again where if you suddenly have to extend him in the postseason, um, is his body going to continue, going to completely give out, give out? And so for me, and this may seem a bit odd when speaking about a 65-win team, but for me, one of the most fascinating uh, questions entering the season is going to be that fourth guard spot. And so it's going to be, I think, it's going to come down to between the the rookie D'Anthony Melton, who fell to number 46 after playing just one year at USC, or Michael Michael Carter Williams, who hasn't shown much of anything uh, since his rookie season. But but I think the Rockets, and I think D'Antoni, he's really going to need to look to try to keep Chris Paul fresher. I mean, just keep him in bubble wrap, if you will, um, and and try to buy time during the regular season while you can, because it'll. The only thing that matters is that Golden State Warriors series. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine Paul. I mean, he played 32 minutes a game. You know, he came out of a couple of games early. I mean, I didn't think that like racing him back when he clearly wasn't ready to start the year for that Golden State game to the season opener was the greatest idea in the world. Uh, but can you can you put him on? Is it too soon at age 33 to put him on the Tim Duncan maintenance plan? I mean, can, is it 
if you're paying him this much, can you drop him below 30 minutes or he has to play at least 32 minutes? Yeah, well, I mean, it, maybe that is a, a possibility. Although, as you mentioned, the backups are less than inspiring at this point in time. Right. But there's also something you said for he's going to have to go 40 in the playoff. You know, I mean, and right. at some point you have to kind of ramp up to where you can handle that. I mean, it, certainly that muscle right. injury, and, you, know, you could say it's a freak occurrence, but that's the sort of thing that happens uh, at the end of games. And you know, as a 33, 34 right. year old, I mean, maybe that's just what you're going to have to deal with. And, and you got to find some other options there. You just hope that he holds up for seven games against Golden State. And, and I'm not a doctor, but I don't know the extent to which that sudden ramp up contributes sure. to an injury like that. And I, I would guess that it probably is quite contributory to something like that. And so I don't I don't know what the solution right. to that is because you know that you need you have to have him out there for 40 minutes a game against Golden State, but you can't you can't condition him towards that in the regular season. And so I I don't know what the solution is. Yeah, I mean it's you know he's a great player, but that is something that he has struggled with for a long time. And so yeah, I mean let's talk about first of all who's going to start for these guys. That's a, that's a, the start of the first question. Uh, I, I think it'll be so you you think it's going to be Anthony right no no I think because they said it might be the him coming off the bench that uh you know he'll probably I'm guessing it's gonna be Ennis at the three and Tucker at the four right yeah that that's my guess Ennis and Tucker as the forwards um and then obviously the the usual suspects at center in the back and in the backcourt um I I I just don't see them starting it out with Anthony um, I, I, I think they might have talked right? about it. Right, right. And, and and against the rest of the league, you can get by closing with Carmelo Anthony. But I, I think the closing lineup, it's it's going to be obviously your mainstays, Eric Gordon, uh, Harden, and Paul. And then you're just going to mix and match depending on the matchups. And so some nights it might be Capella. Some nights it might be Tucker. Um, you might even close with Melo if he's having a good night and you're not getting uh, abused on the other end. Uh, against Golden State, obviously, that's not going to be the case but i think your your three your cornerstones uh in the fourth quarter are going to be gordon and obviously paul and harden yeah and another question is who's going to finish these games at center it seemed like as well as capella played in the playoffs they did like to close with pj tucker at center uh and that lineup in the regular season was just absolutely ridiculous uh 351 possessions so about three and a half games worth uh plus 32.2 net rating they scored 135 offensive rating and excellent defense well 103 so that's uh you know near top of the league level a defense in these offense heavy times so you may still see tucker at center i think they like they felt despite the fact that capella was pretty good i i thought that capella was effective against golden state and that he kind of made draymond green stay home more than pj tucker standing in the corner necessarily did uh but that's going to be something else to work out for d'antoni as well is just really at the is it going to be tucker at center or capella and then if it is tucker at center well where do you go then you know presumably ennis sun floor does now does that mean you're coming in with uh, Carmelo Anthony is it going to be Gerald Green who they actually got some really good play out of uh you know I didn't think he he wasn't amazing but he wasn't the problem in why they lost against Golden State he held his own in that series so I I think you probably go with Capella just to keep Anthony off the floor but you might see Tucker at center and and Carmelo at power forward to close game right and, and to your to your earlier point that you had mentioned and this was a discussion I had had with some of my followers earlier um, earlier in the week about Capella exceeding that 30 minute a game threshold that maybe maybe that's not necessary maybe they don't care to have him play more than that because they have that option of going small with Tucker and just 
how good the lineup, uh, how good the production was with that. And so maybe they're not looking for more out of Capella. As to Gerald Green, I'm funny that you brought that up because I, I basically held my breath whenever he was on the court against Golden State, and, and he held up. I mean, he was he was not the reason that the Rockets um, lost, and so they were able to survive a Gerald Green presence in the lineup defensively, and he gave them some great, uh, some great moments offensively. And so we'll see that, you know, I, I think that's another guy that extends your rotation. You know, he, you don't think of him as a, as a key part um, uh, of your of your core five or six guys, but I mean that's another guy where if you want to just keep the minutes off of James Harden, that's another swing option. Yeah, and I think one of the things that they deserve so much credit for is not only that the switching is the only way to defend Golden State, and, and I mean you can go back and listen to my pods during that series of how just impressive their switching was, and the fact that they committed to it all season, and the fact that they denied more out on the floor to to make it difficult, and they turned Golden State even towards the end of the series into much more of an isolation team than they wanted to be it really was a stress that team in a way that we haven't seen on their offensive end uh but and i think they deserve a lot of credit not only for knowing that that's the way to match up with golden state but also that that's the best way to get something out of these athletic players who aren't necessarily the most cerebral defenders i felt capella fell into that category in past years well now if you're telling him hey all you got to do is switch and you know these are the principles you just do this every time uh you know it becomes a lot easier and then hey you know it's much easier to send help in an ISO than conventional pick and roll defense. Same thing with Gerald Green. What I wanted to talk about though here is much was made about how good they were defensively in that series, but they really sucked most of those games offensively. And as much as they talked about Golden State getting turned into an ISO team, yeah, Houston did a lot of ISO during the season and theoretically was more comfortable there, but they were not able to be efficient offensively against Golden State in that series. So do you think there's a chance this year that they're going to try to diversify the offense a little bit more? more so that you know when teams do switch against them they can have some more options for getting system buckets as opposed to all right let's just throw it to james against the guy we want or throw it to chris against the guy we want right i mean it was absolutely bizarre just to note that they actually were that good defensively and their bread and butter offensively uh just how bad they were but i I look at it as a continuation of the previous season when they lost to San Antonio. And so in those last two games without Chris Paul, so you look at the series against San Antonio, you also look at that closeout game uh, against Utah when things were going south and Chris Paul completely took over from the mid-range. And so I, I feel like being able to exploit those gaps in the mid-range, that's where you completely missed Chris Paul. And I think that's also where Carmelo Anthony can also really help them. And so, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of of in a, a minority opinion here amongst uh, observers uh, on the Rocket side of things, but I think that's where um, I, I kind of get nervous when I'm completely relying on James Harden, and that's where I feel a lot more comfortable with Chris Paul, and that's exactly where they missed him in those last two games. He would have been able to exploit what the defense was giving them in ways that James Harden wasn't able to. I'm in a, a little bit different of a place there because I think even Paul, when he was out there, he was just ISOing as well, and maybe he was getting to more mid-rangers than Harden was, and I do think that Harden would do well when he's matched up against like a Steph Curry to try to use his size a little bit more and then go to the two-point step back on occasion if that three-point step back isn't falling uh just to, you know to, to put some points on the board I mean you do have this thing where you're taking so many threes it can kind of snowball uh where you, you're missing a bunch of shots in a row you know it's nice to get a bucket every now and then but to me 
it's not so much about where on the floor it is as just the diversity in the plan because if it's just yeah chris paul can take a mid-ranger in an iso but to me it's still an iso you know and whether it's i mean you saw golden state start to maybe not as well as they would have liked to even but you saw them start to mix stuff in where just little things where okay at the point where the switch occurs we're going to cut really hard to the rim and see if we can get a backdoor or two per game you know and you just don't see that or, or you know we're going to bring guys off of a screen and then slip someone to the rim off the ball you know the houston runs almost no off ball action uh they, they just, right, oh, right. they're switching all right we're going to throw it to james here get uh get kevon looney's man over here uh he's guarding trevor reza go set the screen and switch and now we, we did everything that we want to do from a scheme pan- standpoint because we got this matchup that's where i think they need to diversify a little bit if they're going to beat golden state right and, and you know the the counter to that which i think they would offer if you if you look at it statistically the amount of player movement uh throughout the course of the season i think the rockets had by far the least oh, yeah. and so what awesome is built bill- don't get me wrong like it worked right. great but it, it proved to not be good enough against golden state to not be right and so for them i mean it, it was all about the predictability of the lack of movement that, that trevor reza is expected to be here when this pass is made and so uh, yeah I, I think they're definitely going to have to adapt now seeing just how bad they were in, in those closing games and throughout the season um in, in seeing that 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 did not work the same way that it did in the regular season so they're going to have to mix in some wrinkles uh, any other big strengths actually here let's do a quick read first uh, and then we'll, we'll be right back so any other big strengths that pop out to this team that, that we haven't had a chance to, to talk about yet i really think the main strength that they have is this the, the chemistry and this ecosystem that they've sort of built in the last two years where you almost you plug someone in and, and it's almost expected what the production is going to be given a, a certain level of aptitude um, from the three-point line and so it, there is complete trust in the system from top down and it's known what is expected of everybody and so I, I kind of impute that upon um, the new additions and so you, you hope that you can kind of plug James Ennis, James Ennis in um, and not miss a beat with Trevor Ariza. Um, apart from strengths, you know, I, I I don't know, is there anything that stands out to you? Uh, well, a, a few that I could point to. Uh, they were excellent on the defensive glass. Uh, they also did a great job. And yeah. a huge, huge improvement over the last season. I mean, that was probably... I had noted that was, I would say, their biggest overall weakness the previous season um, and, and just a huge step forward. And I think for Clint Capella, particularly, 30% defensive rebounding rate last season, that was a huge part of that. And just adding tough-nosed guys like P.J. Tucker. And so that really shored up uh, the team defense overall. Yeah, and then not fouling. Uh, they were fourth in not fouling last year. So those are those the two four factors that actually really helped their defense a ton because uh, in terms of field goal percentage given up they were 13th uh and turnovers they were 11th so to get to that number six overall defense those were the factors that really helped i mean and i think just the switching scheme against teams that don't have really good movement uh, and uh, you know i mean and really good iso players and even against teams that do like in theory minnesota they are so good now at denying penetration shrinking the floor and forcing teams into tough shots with that switching system and they did a very good job you know they had a few bumbles like in game 
two against Utah, but overall their communication and then their ability to adjust that switching scheme to take away what the opponent is doing to try and beat it, it was just extremely impressive. And just over the course of the regular season, they just they don't have any huge weak links. And when they do have a weak link like Harden, uh, they're great at shrinking the floor and helping off the right guys. And you wonder, you mentioned communication. And so I, I know uh, I kind of danced on Trevor Reese's grave here, but that's that's the one area where I wonder how much you're going to miss here and just losing that veteran leadership. And so um, while he didn't rank well in DRPM and, and his overall net rating was negative 1.1, I still think you lose something from him in just his presence and the, the communication, just the longevity of what he brought to that system. Um, he was just the mainstay there. And so I think that's where you lose something. But it was it was really remarkable going from 18th in defense to second, uh, sorry, to sixth last season. And so last year, I thought that was, if you remember in our preview, that was really the big question. You knew they were going to be near tops or tops offensive rating again second. The big question was, can they break the top 10? For me, the big question was, can they even, you know, approach closer to 15th but can they break the top 10 and they broke into the sixth and that was really the difference and and so um you know i, I think you're probably primed to lose a little bit there well, especially um, without but, uh, i mean in the regular season right. their defense in games when he didn't play really fell off a cliff right right um so yeah i, I mean and, and also it's interesting to see whether you know do they come into this regular season like all right we're gonna kick ass here we're so motivated we can't wait to get get back out there after you know one of probably the more bitter defeats that have happened in nba history and then uh, or are they going to come out and be like you know what we got home court advantage last year it doesn't matter let's just save everything for the playoffs let's try not to get hurt uh you know let's uh, protect our veterans uh what do you have a sense of which which way the tea leaves are going there i don't i don't know how you come back from a loss like that emotionally um, like, I just don't know how you come back with the same hunger. Obviously, you know, there's anger and there's a bad taste in your mouth that you want to come back. But I, I just don't know how you get over something like that emotionally. But, you know, having, you know, they see the the value to having that game seven at home because, I mean, they, they wouldn't have had even a chance if it was on the road. And so the way that I look at it is that uh, you, you went 65 and 17. I think you're probably going to need around that again to get that top seed. Chris Paul missed 24 games. One thing that I think is really overlooked is that James Harden missed 10 games, which was more than he had missed it in the last uh, three seasons before that. And the Rockets, I think, were six and four in those 10 games. And so um, when you look at predicting uh, next season, I think a lot of people are expecting that they're going to regress down to, you know, high 50s. But my counter argument would be that they didn't exactly enjoy great health last season. Now, we can probably predict Chris Paul will miss the same number of games, but James Harden, he's never missed that much. And, you know, they didn't they didn't fare well without him. And and Trevor Reza, they lost him, but they were 14 and one without Trevor Reza last season. And so, you know, I, I don't know that they're going to take an overall big step back the way that it's overall being predicted. I mean, unless everybody unless the assumption is 
that they were completely over their heads last season, which I I don't really see it that way. I I think that this was a a great team. Yeah, I I mean, they did win three games more than their point differential would have predicted. And they were, this was concomitant with their awesome isolation play. They were just a fantastic clutch team. We had the numbers too on that Tucker at center lineup, which they largely went to at the end of games. And you would expect them to still be a a solid clutch team, although we have seen that that yo-yos for a lot of teams, even some of the best teams. So a couple other strengths, obviously, just the number of three balls that they get up took over 50% of their field goal attempt from downtown last year. I mean, that's the the highest in NBA history. And then getting to the foul line too. I mean, that's another thing. They're number one in the NBA in terms of getting to the foul line compared to their number of field goal attempts. And that's even more ridiculous when you consider the number of three-point jump shots that they were taking. Um, What about weaknesses? Anything pop out to you? I mean, really, the the main weakness is, is overall just the overall fragility of the roster. I mean, again, going back to the age um, of several key players, I, I think that's where you really have to worry about this team. I mean, uh, is Chris Paul, can you really expect him to play more than 60 games? And I think also the wing depth, like we said earlier, Bahamute was not there in the conference finals, so you can't factor him into that equation. But over the course of the season, you're going to wear out James Ennis and P.J. Tucker when relying so heavily. And so they, they have lost um, uh, on that end. Yeah, and then backup point guard as well uh maybe backup center as well if uh, you know nene he he is at an age where he could kind of just be done at any time and he was and he was just completely unplayable against golden state as you'd expect so i don't i don't even know how, if you uh, do you approach the regular season differently than you approach golden state if golden state is the ultimate end and so what i mean by that is I don't want to end up back in a situation where you are down to playing only seven players. Uh, So I feel like everything needs to be in preparation for Golden State. But the flip side is, do you have more than seven players who can play against Golden State? And so I just go back and forth on that and seeing that so many of our guys are just end up completely unplayable. But, you know, how, how is it sustainable? So another weakness I would say is the very thing that I just noted as a strength, which is that so much of their offense is predicated on getting to the foul line. I think we saw this in the Spurs series, saw it in the Golden State series as well, that if you're really an elite defensive team with elite coaching and smart players, if you get into a playoff series against James Harden, that he's so many, I mean, he definitely draws fouls by just being stronger and quicker and getting into places where you have to follow him. But so many of his Fouls are you know trying to draw contact the 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 Harden where he extends his arms and goes up through guys who are trying to dig down from the perimeter to get a foul call or or getting guys in the air and getting a a three shot foul so uh, or coming off the pick and roll and trying to get guys hands in the cookie jar there uh, as they try to get over the screen which you know again it gets kind of taken away by the switching so uh, and then Chris Paul is certainly a, a master trickster in his own right and so I think you can make the argument that in a playoff series especially as a playoff series goes on and you get used to guarding those guys that you can take away some of that reliance on the free throw line and that then when those get turned into isolation jump shots those guys become a lot less efficient right and i mean that's that's the big existential question with the james harden led team that it's been the case for several years now is 
when the playoffs roll around and you know those whistles are no longer uh, called, can you still get the same production? So that still remains to be seen, and that's amplified more now that you have Chris Paul as well. And so, uh, you know, I don't know what the solution to that is. I, I don't, you know, Carmelo Anthony at least gives you another option um, where before you didn't have another guy who you could at least even go to. So you were, you were entirely dependent upon James Harden before, and then now it become Chris, Chris Paul as well. And so at least now you have one other option during the game. But, you know, that's going to be the question that's going to plague a James Harden team as long as he continues to be uh, the the player that he is yeah and how did you feel just about Harden's overall playoff performance last year was it a disappointment to you based on how awesome he was in the regular season do you feel that he didn't quite live up to his billing in the playoffs you know I'm I'm gonna get murdered for this um from from Rockets fans but you know obviously in the aggregate the the per game stats were healthy but you 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 kind of get the feel with Harden a lot of times of just a lot of empty calories where you're not getting the production in critical spots. Um, and so, you know, I, I go back to that closeout game against Utah. And so I don't, I, I'm not even really looking at the Golden State series. I'm looking at that closeout game against Utah where it looked like things were completely getting out of hand. And it was Chris Paul who had to save the Rockets. And so, um, I, I uh, yeah, I was disappointed, and I called um, the the Harden's performance against the San Antonio Spurs in that last game the most bizarre performance I've ever seen. I mean, even aside from when Kobe Bryant refused to shoot just to make a statement, I mean, in that last game, I don't know what was going on with Harden. And so, yeah, it, it was d- disappointing despite what the stat line looked like. Yeah, and I mean, do you feel that that is because there's something about his game that just does not translate as well into the playoffs, or is it just bad luck? Uh, I mean, he, just to give you some of the stats, he's uh, 62% true shooting in the regular year, led the NBA with a 29.8 PR, and PR. 24 true shooting 55 percent right at the league average uh, and that's over the entire playoff run now you're going against golden state and you're going uh, against utah you know which is two elite defenses especially a golden state playoff defense so that's you expect that's going to come down to some degree but you know if he makes a few more of the same shots that he was making in the regular season maybe we're talking about them as nba champions right now yeah and i mean it could be one of three things it could just be his game it could also be something uh, mental, which just sort of causes him to uh, kind of lock but, up in those moments. Great, or all, it all... great games in the playoffs. I mean, the game, and maybe it's a fatigue thing over the course of a series that was posited right. by Tom Haverstrow right. to say, you know, he, he had awesome right. games in, uh, you know, although he was horrendous defensively in the in game one, but he was unstoppable offensively against Golden State, and same thing uh, uh, on offense against Minnesota and Utah. And then it seemed that his performance largely waned uh, as the series went on, other than that crazy first half that he had in game six right right and so as you see as as the series continues to to go on deeper into the series that, that physical fatigue starts to set in and so uh, you know, it, it very well could be a physical aspect of it where he just needs to get better conditioning. I don't know to the extent that that's even going to be possible. 
Um, but it's it's definitely con- a concern. And so it was supposed to be addressed by adding Chris Paul last season. Chris Paul wasn't available for the last two games. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know what the solution there is. But, you know, I, to answer your question, I, I was disappointed, to be honest. Yeah, and maybe it is just finding a way to get him easier buckets. And that's very hard to do against switching as the, that's why the Rockets switched to take away plays like that, those system buckets but you know maybe that's uh, what they have to do uh but you know i don't that's not really in d'antoni's dna uh, i mean people talk about how you know d'antoni was the, this uh genius and i think he was from a spacing standpoint but it was more you know giving players the space to work and, and spreading the floor and getting guys out of the way than oh man look at this crazy intricate action that just fooled the crap out of these guys you know that's not really what d'antoni has been and now that teams are switching the rockets you know they really have not found a way to beat them other than just all right throw it to james uh, and i so and that that it's so fatiguing to for him to have to do that uh, all the time so um let's do a little prediction time here uh i will go first this time and uh i'm gonna peg this team oh i'm kind of i'm trying to decide between 59 and 61 i think i'm gonna go 59 wins uh for this group this year and by the way just so you know where we were last year uh i was at 58 and you were at 60 last year i was at 60 okay i thought i was at 62 for some reason but i might be giving myself too much credit <laughs> well that would be right um, on where their point differential was so and, and who knows right. maybe i transcribed it wrong but I, that, that's what i have written down you're probably correct i i don't know i don't know um it's it's tough to to repeat at a 65 win level partic- particularly when you're dealing with players who are only expected to regress and so while i don't think that in actuality i don't think that uh they're going to be a worse team in, in terms of their abilities but you know it's it's difficult to see them uh repeat that now on the flip side as i said they were six and four without james harden and historically he has not missed that many yeah. games you have to imagine um, going to rest him i mean if he plays more than 75 right. games this year even if he's healthy i would be very surprised and, and right, he's one right. of them and, and he, now so he doesn't have to like you know he got his not, adidas contract bonus he, they, they don't have to uh which uh, obviously that's speculation but uh <laughs> yeah i i think i think chris paul you're gonna expect him to to miss just as many games um i think really the big the big blow is not having the same wing depth that you had last season um in losing in bob Mute. and so barring a trade i think you, you you've regressed there until something happens there and so uh, I'll, I'll go with 62 and 20. The other thing that I think we haven't maybe haven't talked about enough is I'm pretty sure and, and maybe Daryl sees something in him that we haven't and he can they can get him more confident shooting the ball again. You know, I mean, his best season as a uh, three point shooter was his rookie season. But Carter Williams, I and mean, you understand the theory of him is, all right, we got a guy at six, five who can fit into this switching system defensively. But you have to fear that any mo- any game that he plays, any minutes that he's playing are going to be pretty difficult and that they're going to feel like uh, even if they only play him for a month or so that he could just lose them a couple of games just by like you know when they give up a 10-2 run when he goes out on the floor you know i think i actually think that fourth guard spot and i talked about this a little bit earlier is going to be the rookie d'anthony melton and so his 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 the the scouting report on him was it, it reads a lot like patrick beverly i mean he's basically just a very gritty um defensive player and so he could not shoot that was that was the scouting report on him but you look at him in summer league and it's clear that he's been working on his shot in that year off and so they got him at 46 i'm really high on him if you look at the tape on him and so he can he can get to the rim um, he's clearly improved that shot. He still has the defensive ability. He's six four, um, and so 
I'm really looking at that fourth guard spot. I think Carter, Carter Williams, as you noted, it's obviously a buy low. I, I look at it like a late Kyle I, I Lowry it, type it of thing. It might be a buy high, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> <laughs> to, to give him a, a fully guaranteed contract for a year at this point in his career, might I, I mean, I'm just I, I'm worried that he just with him not being able to shoot that he's going to just screw up everything. You know, their whole the whole point of their offense is to at least have guys who can stand at the three point line and credibly make a right, shot. Right. Be plausible. Yeah. Be plausible. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, and, and and as I was going to go into, but I, I think you you rightfully snuffed that out. I mean, when they they when they looked at acquiring Kyle Lowry, that was a guy that couldn't shoot but had those other gifts. But of course, a huge difference in the Kyle Lowry hadn't really yet played in the NBA yet. He was he had played with Memphis, but hadn't really gotten many minutes, and so um, it, it's not a comparison at all. And so you know, if if Michael Carter Williams is on the court, probably some things have gone wrong. It's probably a blowout or um, there, there uh, there's injury concerns, but I'm, I'm looking at DeAnthony Melton to take that spot. Yeah, and certainly you could see them getting out of the buyout market. You could see a trade uh, of Anderson. Perhaps that becomes more palatable, uh, to, you know, to an Anderson for Baysmore type uh, of trade, you know, for another guy who expires in 2020, but maybe has more value than Anderson. Anderson can still play, by the way. I think he can help a, a team that's not as good as Houston, that's not trying to switch everything, you know, because, I mean, his ability to bomb from deep could really help a younger team uh, that needs some more space on the floor, but, you know, you know, I, I do agree that uh, some of his time in Houston has passed. Maybe we'll see him play some at backup center if Nene is about done. I, you know, I, I feel like his time in Houston is done because the, the issue, it was not defensively. It was that he has the yips now. I mean, he, he will not even shoot if you saw, you know, I, 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 I was surprised to see that he still shot. Angle, though, right? He never really got back in rhythm after that, it seemed to me. I may be too harsh. I was surprised to see that he shot 39%, but the issue for me, what was absolutely maddening to me he might be the one player that I get angry when he has an open shot and he doesn't take it I mean what why is he passing out of it I if he's out there I want him to shoot it and so I don't know if it's a mental issue with him, but I, I kind of feel like his time is over in Houston. If they can just find a taker, I feel like Carmelo Anthony is the Anderson right, replacement. Yeah. He's not the, the Ariza replacement. Yeah. All right. Well, so we got distracted a little bit here. Uh, best case scenario. What do you see it as? Best case scenario. I, I still would say. Um, so I gave my record as what? 62 yes. and 20. Let's say best case scenario, I say um, Chris Paul actually stays healthy for a full season to the extent they even want him to play more than 70 games. Let's say best case scenario, let's go with what 67 and 15 is that too lofty uh, i mean it's it's your opinion so <laughs> I, I would probably go with 65 i mean it's hard to imagine that it could all come together better than it did last year especially when you know they were had a 62 win point differential um what, what about from a worst case scenario so a worst case scenario and if i recall your perimeters from previous years it, it's that this is not inclusive of a catastrophic right, right. injury, correct? And so this is assuming James Harden plays his expected 75 games or whatever. Chris Paul is expected at 55 games. Clint Capella is expected in the lineup. I've said repeatedly over the years that a James Harden-led team, if as long as he's happy, your your baseline is 50 yeah. wins, right? Historically, you you've only you've only sunk below 50 wins one time, and that was when you had the chemistry problems. And so I go back to that. That this goes back to your very first comment on this interview in that what if there's issues with Carmelo Anthony? And so the only way I see things completely going south uh, for the Rockets and them 
winning in the low 50s is if there's some issue in the locker room where perhaps Trevor Ariza's presence was a lot more important than I'm giving him credit for. And perhaps Carmelo Anthony is not happy with his role. Perhaps Chris Paul has completely taken his side. I, I think that's really the only way you see them fall to that low 50s because otherwise, again, historically with James Harden, even without Dwight Howard healthy. So in 2015, um, when Donatus Yunus was their center, they still won 56 right. games. And so we've seen historically the baseline for a James Harden team is 50 wins. Yeah, so so that's you're going 50. I would even go a little higher than that. I'd say, you know, 54. Uh, I mean, it's just so hard for me to think that, I mean, they're going to be a top three offense in the NBA. I mean, unless uh, like Harden, he's 29. He might be a little bit worse in the regular season than last year, but I don't foresee a big drop off there. And, you know, as you said, as long as he's healthy with this philosophy, they got a great rim runner in Capella. You know, maybe Eric Gordon could be a regression candidate, especially as good as he looked attacking the basket last year he's going to be 30 this year but uh, i mean i think even if everyone drops off a reasonable amount it's hard for me to see them getting much lower than that I mean, and this is just a really good team and then and and defensively you know teams don't really have an answer for their switching i mean half the teams in the league are just going to be stuck isoing against clint capella or or and just you know they just don't have the type of personnel to really beat that uh, or the offensive system to really beat right that. And, and right and on you mentioned eric gordon it was a really odd very odd season for him last season because he dropped all the way down to 35% on threes, but he looked better than I've ever seen him uh, attacking the, the basket. And so, you know, the the notion of Eric Gordon, when you think of him, the perception is is of a shooter and, he, he, you know, a guy robbed of the quickness uh, that, that he was known for early on in his career. And so is he going to regress back up to, to the high 30s on threes? Is he going to lose a step? Um, we saw that he always looked a lot better after getting more rest, 43% from three after two days rest. And, you know, obviously that's, that's the case for most players, but it looked more pronounced for Eric Gordon where he just looked really slow at times. And then suddenly he would just have this burst. And so I've often noted that when Eric Gordon is running, this offense almost looks like a video game. Um, when he's actually running well, that's when things really look like they're clicking. And so, you know, I don't know to the extent you can expect him to slip a bit now as he's also getting older and always historically um, an injury-prone player with those nagging injuries. Yeah, he's been remarkably healthy since he came to Houston. And uh, I mean, the other thing about him too that I just love is I'm fine with him shooting 35% if he's going to be bombing from five feet beyond the three-point line. If he's going to make you guard him that far on a closeout and keep the help away from James Harden and Chris Paul and Clint Capella inside, you you know, I'm fine with him shooting 35% instead of 39 if he's going to be spotted up five feet behind the three-point line. Right. And also really um, surprisingly, at least to me, just a very stout defender. I, I hadn't realized just how good um, how capable he was defensively before he joined the Rockets. Yeah, and I, th- I thought going back to the 2016 Thunder Warriors series, and then again last year, that stoutness is perhaps one of, you know, that was something that was huge. Everyone was super into lifting, you know, in the late 90s. It was like, all right, you got to get big now. That was the big thing. And now, you know, then I think the trend went back to, all right, we need to work on quickness a little bit more. You don't want to gain too much weight or you might get injured. But those guys, the Tuckers, your Gordons, Chris Paul, James Harden with that naturally stocky, body type uh, have some value defending um all right i guess this is uh we've kept you here for over an hour so thanks a lot man this is this is great and uh try and get some sleep if you can we really appreciate your coming on uh where can people keep up with your work thank you thank you so much uh again it's uh red94.net 
Um, and I'm also uh, on Forbes Sports Money now covering Rocket's salary cap issues. All right. Outstanding. Thanks again. And uh, we'll uh, look forward to this Rockets. Oh, I, I, I completely remiss here. Are they gonna, where are they going to finish in the playoffs? We got to get that prediction for a team like this. <sighs> you know... I just, I, I don't, it's just so difficult to see them beat Golden State, particularly when you came that close. Um, I'm not going to go as far as saying that um, they would have lost had Iguodala been there because while Chris Paul was out, we also were without Mbamute. Mute. And so, but still having said that, um, I, I still think they probably lose in the conference finals again to Golden State. Yeah, and I think they're the clear second best team in the West. They could. Now, I mean, to me, a lot of it just comes down to who's healthier among those teams too, right? I mean, if Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, if their injuries these last two years were timed just a little bit differently, you know, you'd be talking about the Rockets uh, having beaten them. So, uh, or at least maybe the Warriors not being uh, the NBA champions. And so, you know, Golden State has had, other than that Steph Curry has missed some playoff games the last couple of years but by the time they got beat they had all all of their best guys in the lineup and so if that's the case yeah i would pick golden state but certainly not putting it past this houston team to beat them but i do think golden state is the favorite i don't expect either team to be quite as dominant this year i think you know some of the teams behind them the lakers will see what they look like like uh utah is a team that i think should be better this year so uh i think some of the teams below them uh, maybe even minnesota could be better you know there's a few that you look at as like i, I don't see the gap being quite as large although i still think those two teams are going to be the clear two best in the conference and i would make golden state the favorite in the final in the conference finals yeah i would completely agree with that assessment all right well that is a great note to end on all right we will uh catch you guys soon thanks so much for listening so we can't all become world-class shooters like the guys in the nba but you can learn from the best shooter in my opinion in nba history stephen curry through his master class which is now a once in a lifetime opportunity i have watched this video it's really good i I learned a lot of stuff that I'm actually going to try and use once I get healthy enough to play again. But you've got four hours of movie quality video lessons, and they actually really help you as well with worksheets, specific things that you can be doing. It's not just, hey, do this. There's also a real curriculum that you can use to try to improve. And so Steph will show you the right way to do things. He also has this hilarious guy who will tell you the wrong way to do things. He'll even take you through NBA game footage to help improve your basketball IQ. He's got a bunch of ball handling drills as well and not just Steph's class this makes a great gift because they have 35 other masters now and their collection is growing all the time they've got Malcolm Gladwell on writing Ron Howard on directing tons of cooking ones as well which are always awesome Bob Woodward on investigative journalism that's one uh that I've been making my way through here and really enjoying so right now dunked on basketball podcast listeners can get Steph Curry's class or unlock access to every master class for a year right now at masterclass.com com slash cap space you gain unlimited access to over 35 world-class masters all for one surprisingly low annual price that's masterclass.com slash cap space easy to remember slash cap space because we talk about all the time here on the program learn from the best in the world at masterclass.com slash cap space and let know that slash cap space url that you came from us okay danny is here to talk a little new orleans pelicans for us and i think overall where i want to start with these 
guys is just talking about the season that they had last year and whether we think overall they're gonna do better or do worse than they did a year ago they swept the Blazers of course in the first round last year which is very unexpected they ended up as the sixth seed although tied with a a ton of other teams at 48 and 34 and then went out rather meekly to the Warriors in five games so just in general I mean and you know I know they got to the second round but do you think they'll be a better overall team this year or were they better last year when they had and we'll we'll limit it I don't think we need to talk about the Cousins thing because he's gone now but just how they looked after they acquired Nikola Mirotic I think that's the relevant comparison here well so for working within that framework the biggest switch that you have is Rajon Rondo for Julius Randle and theoretically Alfred Payton as well and Randle gives them a really interesting development but I think one of the biggest things that we're going to have to see this year is how does Alvin Gentry choose to replace Rondo and my instinct is that they'll be a little bit deeper especially now that Solomon Hill can hopefully play after you know last season was basically a lost year due to his hamstring issue but Rondo did really bring something to this team and I was skeptical of the move and you know it did rear its head in the second round of the playoffs but he allowed Drew Holiday to be more aggressive as a scorer and defensively he was better than I thought he would be that's still you know not necessarily the highest bar but I want to give Rondo credit for the job that the importance that he had on this team last year but I wanted to throw out a stat because I just found this interesting was tooling around with cleaning the glass and last year the Pelicans over the full season were 11th in both offense and defense but you can kind of bifurcate the season a little bit on a logical line which is before the DeMarcus Cousins injury they were 7th in offense and 16th in defense and after the Cousins injury which was more than halfway through the season they were 19th in offense and 5th in defense so they were they were above water both times like they were they were a good team both ways but they had different strengths and weaknesses and so I think some of those defensive gains are legitimate Randall is not a perfect player in any way and we'll see how much AD is going to play center I'm just I'm wondering about their offense I think they'll be better than 19th but maybe they're not you know like the top 10 offense they were before they lost Cousins yeah that's an interesting way of looking at it now they were very difficult for the Blazers to stop obviously with AD at center Miritich at power forward and i think that's a that's really interesting combination although we could see randall start as well and he brings a completely different element than miritich on offense as someone who likes to bully to the room has basically no range at all as opposed to someone like miritich who is able to really space things out so here's a stat for you this is per cleaning the glass with ad and miritich on the floor together a little over 1200 possessions plus 10.4 net rating 113.6 on offense 103.2 on defense and so i think that's has a number of interesting things that we can take from it one is simply that ad is better defensively as a center having him chase around shooters just isn't as useful he's capable of doing that he's capable of switching he's capable of being on the perimeter but that seems to be a a little bit of a waste of his skill set something that i think the stats would show and also and if you go back to the season before when they had times where they defended really well it was again with him at center and then on offense just having the spacing of mirtich especially at times when they're playing rondo their default starting lineup of of Rondo, Holiday, more Miritich, and Davis. I guess I shouldn't say it was default starting line because they started at Mecca Oka 
Okafor a lot in the regular season. But uh, that lineup was even better. That was plus 19.4 in 400 possessions. And this is the regular season. That was the starting lineup that totally killed the Blazers in that first round. So there is some room for optimism there. Now, Rondo, of course, is no longer a part of the team. And though, like you, I am not as high on Rondo as many people are. I think that you probably would have to say that Alfred Payton is a downgrade from Rondo, at least as they played last year. You know, maybe Payton has more of a chance of potentially improving, but I, I think Payton is is pretty clearly a downgrade based on his advanced statistics. Well, yeah, I mean, Peyton isn't as good of a passer as well. Like the things that Rondo is flawed in, Peyton is similarly flawed. And then the things that Rondo is good at, Peyton is not as good. So I, th- I think you have both. Th- and both of those matter. I mean, Rondo's passing opened up some serious opportunities for other players on this team. And, you know, defensively, I think they were able to overcome it. And and the point you brought up with the 80s defense is, is incredibly salient here, partially because of something that is still true, which is the centers that Anthony Davis plays with are not nearly as good as he he is defensively. They're good players. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins is one hell of a basketball player. Julius Randle is a very talented guy as well, but they're not as good as Anthony Davis. There are there are circumstances where I could imagine him working well as a defensive power forward, but what you need in a center is just, you know, it's not really what they've had. Emeka gets closer to it, but even then, and then one of the other potential additions on this team is Jaleel Okafor. The story is exactly the same with Jaleel Okafor. Like, he's a significantly worse defensive center should he make the team than AD is, and so then you get into all those trade-offs as well let's go back to Peyton overall last year I mean really got essentially dumped by two th- teams if you consider that Phoenix didn't even bother to make him a qualifying offer he got traded for second rounders from Orlando to Phoenix then Phoenix despite that investment it wasn't really interested but his box score numbers really were he did a lot of nice things last year uh in Orlando in particular I mean that Phoenix team that he played on once he got there was a, a pretty rough squad you know, I don't want to hold him too accountable there, but in Orlando, 1800 minutes. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, 1200 minutes just in, in Orlando, 18 PER, true shooting percentage above the league average, which had been a struggle for him, 56%. And then it, when you consider that point guards generally you know, shoot worse than big men, that's actually even more impressive. 22% usage, got plenty of assists, a pretty decent rebounder, gets to the rim pretty well too. It shot 67% around the rim. That's one thing that he provides that Rajon Rondo really didn't was solid finishing around the rim and shot a, a solid 33% from downtown albeit on I mean I shouldn't say solid that's just relative to how you think of him as a shooter but what is it about him that despite you know those pretty decent box score numbers just have made him not really be an effective player in terms of any on-off metric throughout the entirety of his career he's been one of the worst starting point guards in the NBA I mean for me the the main thing that a primary ball handler has to do is create reliable shots for himself and other people and yeah 22% usage is is okay but if if the guy's supposed to be running the show that's on the low side and also that his efficiency was augmented by shooting a way higher percentage at the rim than he has at any point in his career now maybe that's just who he is and it's not like orlando was this bastion for spacing so it's not like it was this anomalous you know oasis in his career that that was so good that he's never going to get back to they'll probably have better spacing on the pels this year but you have it on that way and then defensively this is something you and i talked about watching the magic last year and then a little bit actually watching the the suns was 
was that Peyton, you know, good, he looks like capable physically, all that kind of stuff that he should be better defensively than he is. And so you, you've seen that in Orlando as a team while he was there. And this is not point guard defense is not what determines a, a team's whether they stop somebody or not. But as a team, they had this same thing where it was like they look like they should stop people and then they absolutely didn't. And so it what that wasn't his fault, but he was a contributing factor. Alfred Payton, 72nd in the NBA in RPM among point guards last year, negative 2.06, negative 1.95 of that was on the defensive end. And then remember, you know, your average point guard is going to be above zero on offensive RPM as well, because point guards just generally have more offensive skills. Smaller players have more offensive skill. Centers are the other way around. They're usually positive on defense and negative on offense, just your average center. So compared to his position, I mean, negative zero. 0.1 offensive RPM it is not great either so he has not been effective does have the physical talent I mean and it, he'll get steals he's uh, and he can be hardly be any worse than Rondo was on switches last year Rondo's one of the worst players in the NBA guarding bigger players uh, on switches he would just completely give up as a, I wrote about in the no defense team piece for the athletic that I picked up from Tim Kamikami this year by the way subscribe to the athletic at theathletic.com slash capspace to get 40% off your first year of subscription. But I think if you look at the circumstances for Peyton, never really had someone you'd say was an above average coach in Orlando. Who is the best player that he's played with at any point in his career? You mentioned how they never really had much spacing in Orlando, uh, although certainly Peyton did kind of kill them, uh, their offense a little bit. Uh, when he went out, they had their best stretch of the season early on. They're looking really good with DJ Augustin. Then uh, obviously in Phoenix, Devin Booker a little bit, but Devin Booker missed like most of the time that Peyton was active for the Suns. You know, going back to 2014-15, I mean, who is on this uh, Orlando team really? You know, Vucevic, Fournier. I mean, the, so playing with better players, we mentioned he's better at getting to the room now. He's finishing better than he had early in his career, which was a real problem for him. Playing on a playoff caliber team. I think despite the fact that the numbers have been so bad, and if you had to ask me what I'm going to bet on, I would bet that he you know, would be a, pretty bad as a starting point guard. There's reason to believe that he could be a lot more successful than he's been he's got size at that position got some switchability great steals guy when he's really locked in great anticipation to the ball and you know if he gets good coaching i think he can be much better defensively than he has been and especially in a situation where he can be held more accountable uh and he's got a great mentor in drew holiday i mean he's going to be playing with two players who are probably better than anyone that he's played with for a, a long period of time I mean, what do you think the chances are he could break Am I crazy to think that that's a possibility? You're not crazy. If if we think about breaking out as becoming like a a usable, you know, like a, a reliable player, I think that's going there. Do I think he's going to become like a top 15 starter? Like what? All right. How about this? What are the chances that he gives them more than Rondo did last year? Uh, that, that he ends up being an upgrade? Like, I don't know, 30%, 25%, something like that. Yeah, I guess that's around where I'd have it. Maybe I mean, a, l- Rondo a little Rondo bit had higher. A, Rondo had a good regular season and, and and he brought he did help them. I mean, it, it's hard because, you know, these are two guys that I'm not high on, which in some ways helps that it's not one side and the other and with Peyton there are a lot of fundamentals that go towards the area and he and he's still young I mean this is going to be his age 24 season and a lot of times I think we prejudge this you know this gets into the six situations where we want to get to judgment of okay but you don't look at the circumstances and then that gives a guy an opportunity to break out now they don't always you know Ben McLemore had a really you know got into a tough situation with the Kings and he just wasn't good those sorts of things happen too it really can go either direction but this is going to be 
a clarifying year for Peyton because we'll find out. We'll have a much better idea. And he's on a, I believe he's on a one-year deal. So then he has plenty of incentives yeah. to put his best foot forward. It's not like you can sit back there and go, oh, well, I have time to figure this out. No, you need to you need to get it right now. And yeah, there, there's certainly a possibility of that. And another important part of this is that the Pelicans are going to need somebody to step up on the perimeter. They have intriguing depth if we're going to say the big man position. So like the four and the five, they have a three-man rotation, but then they also have guys on top of that. Diallo, Okafor... Okafor. I mean, Oka, the other Okafor. <laughs> and I mean, both of us feel that Solomon Hill, his ideal position would be at the four. It's just that they don't have enough threes. But then at the kind of, if you block the one, two, three together for this team, they're going to need guys to step up. And so Peyton hopefully could be one of those guys. And they're just going to need more, more quality from wherever they can get it. And so that's a good motivator is the idea that not only have I, you know, kind of floated around, got basically cast aside by two teams, but if I do well, I can get a big contract with somebody else and I can actually earn more playing time, that there is space for me in this circumstance. Like, I think that should be, if he can deliver, this would be, this would be the time and the situation to do it. Yeah. And to be better than Rondo was last year, again, he had a lot of assists in the playoffs. He had a solid series against Portland. He had, I thought, one good game against the Warriors and really killed them aside from that. But he was only 48th in RPM himself last year. And, you know, while he had a higher defensive RPM, I, I, it's my expectation that Peyton will be able to give them more at least defensively than Rondo he won't be as good of a passer but he can get to the rim I think Rondo probably is going to be a a better shooter at this point in time uh Rondo is is obviously not someone who takes a lot of three-pointers but actually has made them okay the last couple of years uh you know neither of them really are going to get guarded so the other thing I want to talk about just you started to hit on this now is the rotation and because they don't really have an established guy at the three they started Etwan Moore there you know he's really like six four six five you know not capable as kevin durant emphatically showed in the playoffs of guarding bigger small forwards darius miller really too slow in that role though he's a wonderful shooter solomon hill okay maybe you could do that but you know he other than hitting a few shots in that game three against the warriors really was not able to do that he's a, a natural four miritich played some three during his time in chicago again because they just didn't have the other options available uh but he's obviously a natural four as well so your question then if you're alvin gentry seems to become okay do we play big and play someone who's a four really at the three or do we play small and play someone who's a two basically at the three those are really their only options yeah unless one of the like real deep flyers that they got like troy williams really works out and i mean i don't expect that to yeah. good. and troy williams can't shoot well enough anyway i mean he's really right. more of a he's basically a four on offense even if he can defend the position well i would skew more towards actually the smaller guys just to get the, the spacing together and because I don't think their bigger guys are are great defensively you know Miritich I think is sometimes underappreciated defensively just because he's you know a, a white shooter yeah, is probably he's, a fair way to put he's it he's a smart he's a smart defender yeah and he works and he works at it and so get some he, steals yeah so, so you, you have that but he's much to me much better at the four especially when you can get him more on the defensive glass because he's standing in a different part of the four sometimes but and the other reason why we go small 
is just that I don't think I like the guys that they have at the big spots, but they don't really have a ton of depth there. They have, you know, more of the like Shake Diallo. I think of him more as like a, a 10 minute a game guy. They don't really have somebody yeah. that can scale seriously there. And so if they did, then maybe you balance it out a little bit differently. So I would go more that direction, just get a little bit, a little bit more shooting. And then you don't overextend Miritich and Randall and, and Anthony Davis. But if you're getting into a circumstance where it's, it's really hard to manage a three man big rotation where everybody's playing enough minutes and you're not getting into these lulls, like, you know, cause you have to do early subs and late subs and all that kind of stuff. So maybe if that just gets a little bit untenable, then you use Miritich at the three at points as a kind of a, a, a simplifier of the rotation to make it a little bit more common. But I wouldn't start with that lineup. And I don't know, there is a chance that you end up finishing with it just because your best five guys, but that would be really interesting. You're talking with Miritich at the three. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a, an interesting thought. And I think a lot of it will depend on who they're playing and what the matchups are. But you know, I still think for all everyone's like, oh, having a holiday play at the two is so much better. Uh, I mean, you still want to have the ball in the guy's hands and when you have the ball in the guy's hands and you have him next to a point guard whether it's rondo or peyton who can't shoot you're making things more difficult for him you know eventually you want him to be the guy who's attacking and so why not just play him at the one i mean i feel similarly about victor oladipo but i think holiday is is more of a natural point guard than oladipo is even and just get more shooting on the floor you know i mean that's it's really it's not necessarily about the playmaking so much as it is just about having the shooting now you are a little light on dribbling to be sure you know if you've got etuan more at the two and holiday at the one you really only you know more can run a backside pick and roll and get in the lane for a floater but he's not really your a guy who's gonna have the ball in his hands a, a ton but i think just with that shooting you know and maybe you feel you can't put that type of a burden on holiday the whole game especially if you wanted to be what he can be defensively in the regular season but i still think their best lineups have holiday at the one and then just shooting around and then maybe if you have ad and randall in the front court so maybe it is Miritich at the three uh maybe you could go Darius Miller as well if you needed more defense maybe you could go Solomon Hill I mean I I I do have some more hope for this team as a switchable team now where you don't really have that great three but you've got guys that with Davis and Randall Miritich have decent mobility in the front court if you have Solomon Hill in the lineup he's capable of doing that and then at least between Peyton Holiday and Moore those if those three guys are out there at, at some point those guys are all the same size you know and so you're not at too big of a disadvantage if one of them has to switch because you, you still got a 6-4 guy I know Holiday is a better defender than most of those but he's not really quite there as far as uh being able to defend the biggest guys again KD you know not a matchup they're gonna face all the time but they're gonna face guys like that in the playoffs they're gonna have to defend LeBron for example uh, they'll have to defend KD presumably Paul George you know depending on what the matchups end up being so it, it is gonna be a lot to mix and match here again because they just don't have a three maybe they can try to trade for a three and this is a team that has been very aggressive moving their first round draft picks and with this is kind of the season as we'll talk about for anthony davis coming up here that they're going to have to kind of impress him and we talked about that in our offseason grades as well um so any other thoughts just kind of on the rotation we've been a little more disjointed than we usually are but i, I think this has been this yeah has been I, ha- I have one more so i think the pelicans are so there are some teams that you kind of go in discrete lineups you have like maybe a starting five that meshes really well and then you have a bench mob because that makes sense i feel like this team is going to be in a lot of different lineups a lot of different forms partially because we don't know who like what combinations are best and also partially because you want to balance 
wants the workload. You talked about that with Drew Holiday. I think you want to give minutes for Drew with Alfred Payton and, you know, maybe make life easier on him for 10, 15 minutes a game so that and, and you go and so that he can be more ready for the end of the game and the push when games are competitive and not every regular season game is close late. So you don't have to worry about that all the time. And same with Anthony Davis playing center. The Pelicans are better when Anthony Davis plays center, but it doesn't seem like he wants to play it all the time. So in the regular season, you're probably going to give more minutes to Diallo, Okafor, all those kind of things. And then maybe in the playoffs, you get more towards the actualized version, which they will also have all that time to evaluate what that is, what the best five is. So I'm going to be interested in in how experimental Gentry is for the first two months of this season. Does he really go after this and say, who's good, who's bad, who makes sense together? And then you can start to iron out because remember, it's a long season. You don't have to start with your uh, knowing your starting five, your closing five and everything in between. You can get there over time, especially if you are as good as the Pelicans are, where they can work this out and still be winning basketball games. They don't have to go through this and and be, you know, losing games they should win along the way. Yeah, that's a, a good point. And given what the West is going to look like this year, I mean, you, you've got really none of the playoff teams from last year have taken a significant step back. If you consider that San Antonio didn't have Kawhi Leonard basically the whole year uh, and that they added DeMar DeRozan, well, debatable whether San Antonio will be better or worse this year. But uh, and they can't necessarily afford to lose games early on and they're going to have to press pretty hard here. I think uh, another interesting one is backup Punka, right? If, if Peyton starts, you've got Ian Clark, who's not qualified to even bring the ball up the court from a dribbling standpoint. Frank Jackson has played 13 summer league minutes, or, or I'm sorry, one summer league half to his credit. He had 13 points, sprained his ankle. He's back on the court now, which is good. He's working out with some of the guys in LA recently. Some photos surfaced on social media of that. But Jackson is totally unproven, you know, relying on him at backup point guard. So I think I'll probably end up getting my wish of seeing Drew Holiday running point at various times simply because, you know, they're just going to have to stagger those guys. If Peyton rests, they don't have another reliable backup point guard. I mean, you could see maybe Jackson starting the season in the rotation if he has a good camp, but it could be one of those things where, all right, the rookie plays the first five games of the season and they get killed in those minutes and then Gentry decides, all right, we can't do this anymore. Um, Yeah, so I think that's about all I've got on the, I guess we could talk briefly just because he's someone who's been uh, an object of, of discussion for so long. Do you see any role for Jaleel Okafor on this team? And they signed him for 50000 guaranteed this year, and there's a team option for next year. I could absolutely see him as a kind of a flyer. The Pelicans are have like probably, I think, 12 or 13 guys that are like locked in on their roster. And so if he outplays the other guys on the fringe, I, he does not play a position of value. But just because he has so much untapped, especially offensive potential, I could see the Pelicans starting the season by giving him a roster spot. There isn't, and then theoretically, if somebody becomes available, they can they can go in a different direction. But I mean, his flaws are just challenging on this team. I mean, they have a lot like a guy who's gifted offensively, but doesn't really have a super reliable jump shot. And then is just a turnstile at the center spot. I mean, they don't really need that type of guy. They had a much, 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 much better version of that in DeMarcus Cousins last year. DeMarcus Cousins was good enough to make that work and Okafor wasn't. That said, as I said, you know, Okafor, Jaleel Okafor's talent is high enough that I think I could see them taking a flyer if he has a good camp, letting him run through the first like month or two of the regular season and then just seeing where things are at that at that juncture. But is he going to be better, you know, meaningfully better than Diallo, Emeka Okafor, like those types of guys on the fringes? I mean, I'd love to see it, but I'm skeptical considering he's gotten chances. I mean, Brooklyn had all the incentive in the world to to give Okafor a real shot at seeing what he could do and he just didn't deliver there either. Yeah, and it seemed like that with 
with the spacing Brooklyn played with it, that would have been good for me. The problem for Okafor has been not only the defensive concerns, which have always been there, but just that he hasn't been able to be effective at the things that he was supposed to be really good at, basically since that rookie year knee injury. And it was interesting enough that New Orleans was the team in theory that actually said, no, we don't want to trade for you uh, based on uh, those tweets uh, from Brian Colangelo, likely his wife. And so now they've brought him in, but so there uh, does appear to be some interest in his skill set and, and pretty remarkable the fall from grace there three years after being drafted number three overall that you know he all he could get was 50,000 guaranteed um and that's actually low enough that they could send her to the G League if they wanted to, although that seems unlikely. So I don't really see a role for him on this team other than if Randall goes down, then they might be in a position where they could use some more scoring on the second unit and try to give him the ball. And certainly, you know, playing with Miritich is a pretty good fit for him, at least offensively with some spacing. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't uh, be going out of my way here to try to draft uh, Jill Okafor as a fantasy sleeper or something like that um all right let's do a quick read here and then uh we can talk a little bit more about uh, what we expect from this team so we talked about uh, some of the lineup issues what are the big strengths for this team I think you have to start with Anthony Davis. I mean, Anthony Davis still hasn't, I mean, you go back to, I think it was two full seasons ago where he was a legit MVP contender for most of the year that he still hasn't gone all the way back to that, but he's still one of the absolute best players in the league. And I think there's more potential, untapped potential for him as there are with players as good as he has been, as young as he is to get even better, you know, could, could become more of a beast offensively, maybe even higher usage now that Cousins is, is fully gone and they can go in the more Davis-centric directions. Drew Holiday is a one wonderful player and I think they can throw a lot of looks at teams and their their strengths are very different from a lot of other teams and so in a regular season teams aren't going to uh, opponents aren't going to change their schemes they aren't going to do specific defenses or anything like that so when the Pelicans come to town you're going to go oh crap like how are we going to handle this and I think that's a real benefit for them in the regular season that they just they're especially now that they have Julius Randle like teams are going to be sitting there going like well what the hell are we going to do with this like are we going to switch these pick and rolls are we going to sag under like but but your teams don't really change off their default systems too much so i think they're going to catch a lot of teams because what they do well is unusual and they do it better than a lot of other teams yeah and we've seen just the the matchup problems that these guys can cause in the front court i mean portland we saw it in the playoffs last year i mean it seems like ad now and you know if you guard him with your power forward when randall's in the game well randall has shown the ability uh to really cause problems for either centers or what we think of you know, there aren't really many traditional power forwards you know how many guys are there who are quick enough to move their feet with randall and even though randall can't shoot he's still fast enough to get up ahead of steam get by a traditional center get to the rim and, and finish over him and, and use that big body you can go through even a lot of centers uh and then you know power forwards just don't have the strength to keep him away from the rim and he really had some dominant games with like he's one of the players i'm very curious to see how he plays this year because he is someone who can be extremely hard to deal with you know and i want to see whether that was an aberration or not so yeah then you've got miritich who you know if you you're playing him with ad while well, you're going to guard ad with your center well that's a, a pretty tough matchup with ad's shooting his ability to sprint to the rim out of pick and roll uh, his ability to face up a, and drive by slower players you have to obviously respect his jump shot I mean, he's not a great iso player but if you're guarding him with a slow traditional center he can certainly be effective going 
going one-on-one against a player like that. He can space it out to three if needed. And then you can't put that lumbering center on Mirtich because he's all the way away from the rim as well. So he's, they, these guys, especially if they start AD and Mirotic, which I think is what they should do. I think they should bring Randall off the bench. They're, for teams that start a traditional center, like they're just not going to be able to stop these guys because of that front court versatility. And that's something I like about the Pelicans. They conceivably could put out some lineups with really good spacing. They have trade-offs on the defensive end because a lot of their good shooters are just not on the perimeter, just aren't good defensively. But the idea of playing four or five out with the talent they have is just going to be brutally hard to stop. And then, you know, they could go to some of those lineups as closing fives. They could go to some of them just when they need a little bit of a jolt. They can they can go that direction. And something else I like about the Pelicans as a strength is that, and this will get into a weakness too, that they, they have some holes, but they have a lot of different options to try to fix it. And so I don't really necessarily like <laughs> any of them, but at least they have yeah. guys like this. Yeah. That, that's they're moving some... the deck chairs around, but yes, there are a they lot, lot of deck chairs. There are, there are a lot of deck chairs. So that's going to be, you know, it's kind of like they have a lot of bandits, I, I guess is, is a way to do it. And also theoretically, because they don't have all these committed roster spots, it still is frustrating to me. This We talked about this in offseason grades that they didn't really get even like a good flyer of a, of a three. I mean, not every team can sign James Ennis or Travion Graham but they damn well should have. But at least now, like on the buyout market or the, you know, theoretically, if somebody steps up on a two-way contract or like, or somebody steps, it wouldn't be a two-way, be in the G League or something like that. They, that would be a great situation to sell somebody. Like if you could say to a three on the, you know, who's kind of breaks out, this is the best place you can go on a minimum contract because a lot of the other like glamour markets have guys at the three. So just say, hey, you can come here, you can get minutes for us. Hopefully they can actually use that. And, and get something from it another strength just on the statistical resume i think is just going to be not fouling you know, especially with ad at center i mean he does a really good job of not fouling and you know generally referees don't want to call fouls uh, on a big star as well i mean but he does a great job of getting his hands on balls around the rim without fouling uh miritich is a pretty low foul guy as well randall does a good job of staying in front of people uh i think the other strength that, that they might have is just defense against just you know one teams that have kind of one backcourt score pick and roll defense drew holiday i mean at the end of games especially like when he really locks in you know he can be one of the best in the nba i mean if he's got to just sprint around screens and you know, doing it all game i think that especially in the regular season that's a, a tough ask for him you know he used to give steph curry a lot of problems i don't think that's the, the case as much anymore just to, due to the diversification of steph's game but someone like dame lillard we saw that holiday it gave them some problems i think another thing that you can talk about too is that they have some defensive versatility now right i mean if you're playing ad at center you're able to get out on the floor you're able to get the ball out of this guy's hands then ad is probably the fastest center in the league retreating back to the rim so if they want to bring in solomon hill at the four which you know i think if they do play fourth big i think it should be him uh rather than some of their traditional centers keep that versatility going uh, you know miritich has okay enough mobility randall has good mobility although that is one problem that randall has not been successful playing conventional pick and roll defense in his career it's more been switching but i think they have big men now who can switch especially late in the clock they've got guys who can get out on the floor pressure the ball force guys to give it up so i think that's one thing that you can point to any any other big strengths that 
that show up here to you i guess oh another one i could point to is uh just finishing which is both ad is probably the best finisher in the game uh, as a, a pick and roll partner randall has gotten to be pretty decent at finishing around the room that's one of the big reasons why his game is transformed and then you know if you think of uh, i know ben taylor talks about this a lot a finisher doesn't necessarily have to be around the rim you could be finishing plays that are set up for you from the three-point line as well and i think they have guys darius miller miritich who are pretty capable of doing that also uh and so if they have enough creation they have guys who can finish off those plays well to that point i said they were 11th in deep in offense last year they were fourth in effective field goal percentage last year which is pretty impressive that they were able to to do that sixth at the rim and and then something else that they did which is notable when you consider the personnel last year and depending on how it goes this year talked about switchability the shot distribution that opponents had against them is generally what you want you know they low low proportion at the rim moderate modestly high mid-range and then you know middle of the road and threes that's generally speaking what you're looking for now it's important to make sure that those shots are are difficult and, and everything in that direction but and and they can get better there with, with superior personnel but it's nice to see those little fundamentals it was kind of like brooklyn last year where it's like okay well the defenders aren't necessarily very good but at least they're forcing the right shots and sometimes that can be a a good preliminary indicator into that and i mean the pelicans defensively if, if that if that can really push them up if they can be a more reliable team there because their offense is very intriguing as we've talked about weaknesses always going to be it seems like under alvin gentry despite the fact that you have ad but the fact that they had demarcus cousins a year ago offensive rebounding 20 percent offensive rebounds that was 28th in the nba oh you know what another strength is that we should talk about though transition uh they they were awesome in transition a year ago rondo was a big help with that obviously but this is a team that really pushed the pace i believe they had the highest pace in the nba at least when rondo was on the floor last year and hopefully peyton can continue that uh you know ad is really good running the floor um, and then they can jack up threes and Alvin Gentry going back to his Phoenix days is a big believer in pushing the pace. So I think that's uh, something that, that they need to, if anything, play even faster. Now they've got Randall who can grab and go as well. AD can do that. Having grab and go guys can really help your pace. So I think that's something I anticipate is going to be a big strength for them. Um, but you know, they're never going to get an offensive rebound. As I talked about, they don't really get to the line that much either. And again, remember they had cousins for half the year. They ranked only 22nd in free throw rate a year go and they don't really have anyone who's going to force turnovers defensively and, and i think their defensive rebounding is probably only going to be average-ish randall can help there uh but you know i don't expect them to be awesome on the defensive glass playing as small as they are they and especially if they're playing more at the three you know they just don't really have much size outside of their big men to, to get rebounds another weakness they have which will only rear its head against certain teams but they just don't have a guy who can defend high and small forwards they're just oh yeah you know like this, solomon this hills they're, they're, they're yeah. solomon hills their best hope he has other weaknesses and i mean hopefully he has a much better more complete season than before but there are certain teams especially when we get into crunch time saw this in the playoffs against that was the difference between the warriors and the and the blazers because of where their strengths lie that they just i mean nobody can really stop kevin durant but like that's going to be true of a much larger proportion of them and it's going to be very interesting to see when they get into those circumstances how they handle it like do you put in solomon hill i mean they could just try different guys there i mean just see 
see what works. But those games are going to happen at some point. You know, they're, they'll have a late, you know, a close game against the Raptors and they're like, oh, crap, who's going to guard Kawhi Leonard or, you know, against the Lakers there. And there are more of those guys than sometimes than you think, like they're probably like five or six. And so that's that are that are going to be really problematic. And then there's another stage of like guys who can get hot. And so and even we talked about how their twos are pretty small, too. Like if you put Drew Holiday, I think you could do a pretty good job on like DeRozan if you had to do that after Rosen was catching fire. But again, when you get into even the bigger twos, I think that could be somewhat of an issue. Like, And there are teams with those as well. So that's going to be a little bit of a concern for them. And so some of this season, I mean, I talked about this a little, I, I, I pulled some stats on this because I was interested in it. Last year, the Pelicans were effective in close games. They were they had a plus 11.5 net rating and they were 30 and 20. So 10 games over 500 in those close games, which for those who remember is within five points within the final five minutes. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, everyone who was like, oh man, like they're just really getting going with DeMarcus Cousins and then he got injured and you know, yeah it was certainly a shame that he got injured but you know they had they were getting some real good luck in close games they weren't like blowing teams out during that stretch right so I mean that it helped push them I mean that that wasn't what necessarily got them in but that helped move them to the six seed as opposed to the seven or eight and there are some elements depending on who they play close games with that I think this team could be good late but then there are also teams that they could just absolutely struggle with and you know good teams if, if they're on the better end of it sometimes that means you're playing close games against superior opposition and those games could be a challenge another thing that's going to be very interesting to watch for this team that was a weakness last year was turning it over but the two players who turned the ball over like crazy i mean demarcus cousins had five turnovers a game last year uh and then rondo turned it over on 23 percent of his possessions. now alfred payton that's been a weakness of his uh turning it over usually on about 18 percent of his possessions throughout his career but looking at some of the lineups they had with uh ad and miritich on the floor they only turned it over on less than 12 percent of their possessions which is near a league leading level and even overall only 13 percent turnover rate which again is still pretty solid uh after they acquired miritich so that's uh, i think there actually could be better peyton is really the only guy you know maybe frank jackson if he plays that's going to turn the ball over a lot ad is one of the lowest turnover high usage players in nba history again because he operates more as a finisher but even when he goes one-on-one he doesn't turn it over that much miritich same thing um i don't recall what randall's turnover rate was uh, offhand it was you want to take a guess as to whether randall is a higher low turnover player last year i'm gonna say he was higher than average but not high like cousins or anything crazy like that yeah 16.3 percent. so that is above average but and the way he plays he's gonna try and bully through guys a fair amount so that that's not a, a huge surprise i mean he when you don't have a jumper you're going oh. into the teeth of the defense a lot more since i was pulling up splits after cousins got knocked out and you're right the turnover rate did drop they they were almost top 10 in in turnover rate after cousins after cousins got hurt but they dropped to 27th in free throw attempt rate yeah uh and they just really you know ad is the only guy who's going to get to the foul line in this team basically at this point um holiday does bully and get into the lane a little bit but yeah i mean still doesn't for whatever reason doesn't really seem to get fouled that much uh i mean it, it might be one of those things where he's almost like too strong sometimes that happens to guys where they just go through guys so much that they just you know it's not apparent that they're being fouled sometimes skinnier guys have higher free throw rates for that reason um so anything else you're looking at as a a key question that's going to determine these guys success this year we talked about both of these a little bit but i want to put a finer point on them which is how does gentry replace rondo do they you know with the starting five and then throughout the lineup and then who is their closing five i i don't think it's with necessarily who starts the season is going to be there who finishes but i'm those two questions are going to define a lot of this 
season for them. And I do not have a good answer at this point in time. Here's another one for you that's pretty important. Games played by one Anthony Davis. Yeah, that gets into my win prediction stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that- 75 games a year ago, uh, that tied his career high. Although in fairness, he has now played 75 games two years in a row. So, and he's never played fewer than 61, although uh, in 15, 16 was the year that he just, they shut it down with those surgeries. Um, And he appears to have seen no ill effects. Pretty amazing. This is only the age 25 season for Anthony Davis. He's already been a five-time All-Star, Danny. That's pretty remarkable by age 25. I mean, that, this guy has been. I mean, he's he's, he's three Orleans, time but. he's three time All NBA. I think two of those first first team All NBA. All three of them first team All NBA. Yeah, and too bad. Of course, the one time that he didn't make it was when he had that surgery, and it, and that cost him like you know thirty million dollars, uh, which was kind of too bad for him. That was a stupid rule back then. He certainly would have been. Uh, actually, no, I don't know if he would have been eligible. Actually, um, but the, the fact that the Pelicans like weren't able to just pay him the thirty percent max, I mean, I guess they're probably happy about that because they would be uh have even more tax concerns than they've had over the last couple of years but uh well no, i mean that's, and, that's and that gets remarkable. into what should be the biggest question for the pelicans this year which is do they show anthony davis enough for him to yeah. sign the designated veteran extension next offseason because yeah, that's going to be hanging over their entire year and it gets into a, 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 an important part of this, which is why why we need to emphasize this so much is if he does not sign that contract, they have to trade him because he will have one year left. He would it would be sort of like the Kawhi Leonard thing. Should they have made that offer, which I don't think they did, because you can't offer him more money after that. Basically, when you are in the final year of, of, a, of a contract and you get offered a designated veteran, assuming they offer the full 35, you can't offer anything more. That's basically him just saying no. And so, yes, there would be be a chance to be qualified could offer it again and get into all that kind of stuff but they can't take that risk like if if he doesn't sign that contract he's gone they could get a lot for him assuming davis has a year like we expect him to have but you have to sell him on that and certainly there is some risk i mean especially be, and, and we know he's going to be qualified because he's gotten all nba the last two years but he's worth it he's the centerpiece of this team and he gets to determine you know with his own risk and whether he's willing to whether he's willing to take that and so they have to make sure that he is yeah and worth noting that because he's made all nba the last two years like Kawhi leonard this offseason even if he doesn't play a game this year he has qualified for that designated player veteran extension and maybe what ad is would be like as well you know i might as well sign this right now and then i could always ask for a trade later uh if i want to but you know whether that would be granted or not is, is an interesting question usually guys can force themselves out of time he doesn't seem like that type of personality necessarily but as you said i mean they got to impress him and you know he's talked about wanting to compete and while the Pels were certainly a feel-good story last year they played a very pleasing brand of basketball they had a wonderful season they did they exceeded expectations and then you look back on it and I think much like Gordon Hayward right it's like okay we had this great season we were really in it we we're playing well and oh yeah we just lost in five games to the Warriors and they didn't you know Steph Curry was like just coming back and you know it wasn't particularly close even in the games that they lost the one game that they won you know the Warriors kind of just gave up halfway through the game so uh, when they ended up blowing them out 
So, I mean, if they have another playoff exit like that, you know, maybe if they play the Warriors and they lose in seven or something, you know, and the Warriors end up winning the championship, you can feel better about that uh, if you're AD. But, I mean, this is a team that I would say just the odds are they probably don't get as far as they did last year, even if they might be a slightly better overall team. It's just, it's going to be tough. They're going to have to get the right matchup. And even getting as far as they did last year, presumably is not going to be enough for Anthony Davis, particularly because as we talked about, you know, Randall, they don't really have much of a way to bring him back if he has a really good year. Same thing with Peyton. So, I mean, they're starting next season, essentially almost worse off than they're playing this year. So all of this pressure that they feel, I think that's going to lead to them again, looking to make a deal with that first round pick. I'm curious to see who might be available. And obviously what they would need is to get a, you know, a three and D type of guy on the wing, but who can actually is going to make a difference. You know, if they trading for Kent Bazemore, like that's not going to cut it. He's too small. Like that type of guy, they need a guy who's like a legit, you know, maybe that move is for Trevor Ariza from Phoenix. If they fall out of it, you know, that could be an interesting one. Um, Bringing Ariza back to New Orleans. And theoretically, you can make an argument that non-bird rights might be enough to retain him should he be interested. And something else with Davis that I want to bring up in terms of his decision-making here is he has to compare New Orleans to everything because teams are going to move heaven and earth to get Anthony Davis if he becomes available. You know, like he he's going to have any team, you know, Boston, you know, like Boston, you know, they're not going to move Jalen Brown and all this stuff maybe for one year of Kawhi Leonard. Well, if Anthony Davis gets on the market and he says, I'm willing to resign, you make that happen. I mean, there are certainly guys that exist in the world that are untradeable but you have that and then for davis the difference between a 30 percent max and a 35 percent max is significant it's about six million dollars based on the current estimate of the of the cap in 2020 but i mean 35 million is your starting salary is still a lot of money and i don't think that he's taking the same risk like i wrote a piece for real gm years ago arguing that he should take the qualifying offer because at that point the the pelicans were so poorly run and it just seemed like they weren't going to go anywhere they've done better over this time than i expected which is great but taking that risk for one year is very different than for two because not signing it to be a free agent next summer and you get paid and i think that max offer is on the table from a good team from it unless he has like the type of injury that you don't know if a player is ever going to recover from other than that i think that he's fine to get that max offer so he's not taking the same kind of risk all right prediction time here my friend i will go first just so, just so we know by the way a year ago our guest mason ginsburg predicted 46 wins and uh he was very close i predicted a mere 38 uh, in part based on health, but I was way too low uh, on them. Uh, they were up closer to uh, their best case scenario. So they won 48 a year ago, but as you mentioned, a little bit lucky in terms of point differential. They had the point differential of a 46 and a half win team. So that's the baseline you're probably starting from here. But there are also some other reasons. Maybe that's not the place to start from because we talked about how well they played with some of the new additions. They actually were, you're like, oh, they only had Cousins for half the year. He's not there anymore. Well, they actually had some pretty damn good stats. You know, with AD on the floor, 7.5 net rating after acquiring Miritich with more on the floor 8.1 Drew Holiday 7.2 Miritich 4.7 and then it was really some of their bench guys uh, that hurt them and I think you know they do have a little bit more depth now with Hill coming back uh, Miller in the rotation as well Randall they didn't really have uh, a third big man for most of the year it was either Cousins and Davis or Miritich and Davis who is effective so I think their bench can be better this year I think all of this is going to add up to them being right about where they were last 
last year. So I'm going to go with, oof, man, I, and I am a little worried about AD's health. I'm going to go with 46 wins again. I, I think that AD is just that good. I think they're going to be able to get a little bit more out of Peyton. I think Randall is going to help them. Uh, but this is a team that I could easily see, as you say, having some disaster potential. Yeah, that made me queasy too. I actually went higher than you, went with 48. And But I think they, the fundamentals of this team are actually better than that. I could see them being, you know, if, if everybody stayed full strength, but not only AD playing 75 games, Drew Holiday played 81, each one more played 82. And so you have those yeah, guys. Yeah, Holiday is a big one. Yeah. And more, and, more doesn't really get hurt, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I if, if Holiday, and if Holiday misses time, they just don't have other options there. And so they, they have kind of two guys that have to stay healthy on this team. And, you know, yeah. two guys that, that have had issues in their past, but you don't know how, how much of that is a recurrence. I mean, fortunately, it looks like the stress, the stress reaction stuff with Drew is, is in the rearview mirror. Let's hope because that, that, I mean, if that ever rears its head again, this team gets completely screwed. But I think they're a little bit, I, there are some fundamentals on this team that I really like. Like they played at a 48 and a half win pace last year after they lost to Marcus Cousins. And that's, you know, that they, there were some, some soft games in that, but they, I think overall they played well. They played some tough teams too. And I like a lot of where this is going. And when you have options and when you have a lot of deck chairs, at least you have the whole season to figure it out and to figure out which ones and maybe they can add some other pieces. And yeah. as long as Drew and, and AD aren't going anywhere, then they have all, then they can, you can paper over a lot of different type of stuff. So, and I'm also pricing in that they're, I think they're going to be aggressive at the deadline. Yeah. And, and like, I could see them finishing the season strong too. So, so the expected, we're pretty close there. I'm interested in what you see as their best case. I had a little bit of trouble with this. Oof. I like 53. That is the exact number I ended up with. And so for me, 53, it, it's funny because the two teams that had a plus four net rating last year, both didn't end up at 53 wins. The Jazz were unlucky in close games and the Celtics were fortunate in close games. So they ended up separate from that. But you know, that that's about what a team that's like 10th on both ends of the floor, like OKC was actually top 10 in both and were worse than that. But I think that's a good proxy. I could see them being a 53 win team. And again, this yeah, isn't like, I, this yeah. isn't the absolute like best case, like number one scenario. This is more like a reasonable best case. Yeah, I think the, the defense is the big variable for this team because they, I think that they're going to be, you know, like the eighth to 10th best offense in the NBA. You know, I, I think that's, and that, you know, in units that have Drew Holiday at the one, they could be even better. I think, you know, Peyton is probably going to hurt them to some degree at point guard, but again, they don't necessarily have anything else. Uh, and, you know, what do they get from Peyton? defensively can they find something at the three are they going to upgrade at the three i think the system is going to really matter a lot you know the defensive coaching is a matter a lot can they get some units out there that can switch are they going to have the versatility try to get out on the floor pressure the ball a little bit more in pick and rolls are they going to have ad lay back a little bit how much can they get out of mirror i'm you know i don't think that i mean pretty much anytime ad has played center they've been successful defensively you know in these last few years so you know i don't see them being below 15th on offense uh but you know there's always the health concerns as well and, and there's Peyton I think to me is just such a big variable you just have no idea what you're going to get out of him I mean if he's one of the worst point guards in the NBA and the worst starting point guard in the NBA these guys could struggle a little bit uh if they can actually get some competent play from him if he can actually you know make good on his physical potential and give them a little bit more maybe even than Rondo had last year then you're you're talking about a 51 team potentially uh worst case scenario you know I'm not going to 
to say that like AD is going to miss the whole season or something like that. But you know, if he plays his 65 games and you know has to leave some games and scares everybody as he always seems to, uh, and then you know you get some issues with Miritich and Holiday is able to play 80 games again. You know, so you could maybe price that in. I could see them as low as 35 wins. Uh, again, just with that kind of disaster potential, and that a lot of that's based on AD not playing. I mean, I think if AD misses games, like these guys are going to be in big trouble. But you know, I mean, having a top five player in the NBA, which AD, if he's not there, he's sixth or seventh. It really papers over a lot of your ills. In 2016-17, so just two, you know, the season before last, they went 34 and 48 despite Davis playing 75 games. Drew Holiday played 67, so it's and if he was there was a part of that when he was like coming back, so that's a little bit different too. Like those were limited games, and this is a better team than the one that won 34 games. I that's why I predicted they would win 48, but I'm gonna put the worst case at 39. Like I and, and that's the reasonable worst case. I mean, if Drew or AD misses 20 or more games, then you could fall significantly below that. And I could see the defense, you know, struggling a little bit. They just have, they have a kind of some weird pieces there. I could see their bench being a big drag, depending on how they structure this rotation. And then offensively, I think the AD lineups, the Drew lineups will be good, but everything without those guys, sometimes even without both of them could end up being a problem. So like, I could see them being a little bit below water and in a strong Western conference that could lead you to a couple extra losses. So a little bit below 500, but yeah, I mean, I think they're better than that, but that's what a worst case scenario is about all right anything else we need to talk about with these guys before we go here one quick thing I want to mention, they only played 72 possessions last year with a Hill, Miritich, Anthony Davis front court, which is definitely one of the options I would seriously be considering this year. And it's amazing that you like they have that lineup because because Hill missed so much time due to injury and then we haven't seen it yet. So if that ends up working out, I could see that end up being the kind of like the keystone to this team. If he if Hill can work at the three, be serviceable enough to defend, to slow down some of these best guys and they have enough shooting outside of, you know, that they can have have one drag and that's fine this team could end up being really interesting all right yeah i'm just so much is relying on alfred payton I, I, he's really been one of the more vexing players in the nba a guy who had potential was considered an up-and-comer and now this has completely fallen off and he's on a, a pure make good contract i really just am fascinated to see how he's going to play how he's going to get used whether he can actually help this team or not and a lot rides on that for this team all right so don't know exactly when we're going to be running this so we'll uh, say goodbye for out maybe there'll be another episode right after this uh we're trying to pre-record a bunch because i will be on my honeymoon uh but thanks so much for listening and we will talk to y'all next time which may be as soon as a minute from now at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.